Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! <laughs> Hey, who knew I could sing, huh? Hello, Roger. <laughs> hello, Troy. Hello, Troy. And hello, Chris Jenner. And hello, Roger. And hello, Troy. <laughs> Fancy seeing you here or hearing you here at the dark night of the podcast. I jumped out of the shadows and into your ears. <laughs> well, we are excited to have you. You are our first the first guest we've had on the the podcast since we started it, we're on episode twenty two. Oh, I feel so legit. And look at you, my lucky number. There you oh, go. Wow. And you know what? There is a reason why we chose you. Okay, a you're brilliant, multi talented, sing, dance, act, any everything. This kid does everything. B, we've all worked together before. Yes, we have. And it's been way too long. Too long. Too long. And if you don't know, Chris Jennert, who is our guest, he was in my last film, Teacher Shortage, along with Roger. Yes. Um, they were actors, and I was just sat on the sideline and did nothing. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. You inspired Troy. Yeah. But so, yeah, welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked. Yeah. So, it, we, we know each other pretty well. So, for. And I'm sure everyone else that's listening knows exactly who you are. But just in case some straggler comes along that happens upon this podcast and it's like, who the fuck are these people? Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? My name is Chris Jenner. Not to be confused with Chris Jenner, of course. Um, I am a... <laughs> or is or it is Chris it? <laughs> there is, You are just hearing audio, so I can't confirm or deny my actual uh, identity. But I am a singer, actor, dancer. I... Uh, I'm a pop musician, dark alternative pop. I also tour the world with a boy band concert, and uh, I'm a film and TV actor. And I had the pleasure of being in your film and making out with Roger. The pleasure, indeed. The pleasure is all mine. And, and if you haven't seen Teacher Shortage, and that doesn't make you want to pop it in right now, I don't know what will. And if yeah, it, sorry for the spoiler. I mean, but we do kiss multiple times. And if you enjoy Teacher Shortage, Chris is in uh, several other films, but another one mm. I want to mention, another queer-centric slasher, Killer Unicorn. Um, Thank you. And so, and you know, this being a queer-based podcast, I wanted to acknowledge that, point that out. And I also wanted to acknowledge that in the last year you also dropped, was it your debut single? It was my debut single, yeah. Tell me and it went to number it. one on the LGBTQ UK chart for two weeks. Oh my oh. gosh. Yeah. Listen to this. This is a big and deal, guys. Can we maybe listen hear to this, a sample? Literally. Yeah, literally, we're going to listen here's to this. A little, here's a little sample of this number one single. How many, how many people can say they have a number one single? And how many people can say they have a number one single performer on their podcast? Right, here we go. Listen, guys, and you'll know why it's number one. My lips intoxicate, so let's get high a little, try a little. 
What'd you think of that? That Welcome to the motherfucking hollow, everybody. <laughs> I wrote it. I don't know. You wrote it. Did you really write it? Oh, wow. See, look at how... Oh, yeah, yeah. I write my own music, yeah. What doesn't she do? She sings. She dances. I, she wrote, I wrote a song for Troy. Oh, how, how romantic. It's, um, it's not. <laughs> if you hear it, it's not romantic at all. It's actually, um, I can't talk about it, I don't think. I don't want to ruin anything. Wow. <laughs> My eyes and ears are being opened no, on this, this episode of Dark Knight In a nutshell, <laughs> Troy was talking to me about a movie idea that he's got, and I was inspired to write a song that I would like to try to have used in the movie. If it gets made, if it ever becomes a thing. it was. I'm going to make this song regardless, but if the film happens, I would pitch it. Oh, I'm sure the film is going to happen. A film is going to happen very soon. I'm very excited. I'm actually in that. your basement because I wanted to be in it, and I thought that sneaking into your house was the way to get cast. You are very tiny, so I'm sure it's very easy for you to, like, move through tight crevices. So, and thank you. I've been hiding. I'm doing a sex scene yeah. this week. God, he's so fit. I'm so jealous. I rollerblade um, <laughs> four hours a day. That's it. I watch, I watch Teacher Shortage, and in the scenes we're kissing, I look like I'm eating you. Oh. I, <laughs> I look like I'm just, like, full-on consuming you, so... Good for you, and you're like you're like the, the painting of Dorian Gray. You're, you're like a big hunk, you? and I'm an hors d'oeuvre. That's all. <laughs> like, you're you look like you're 16, and you're never going to age. And I am playing my Lifetime movie comes out May 22nd. I'm playing a, a 17 year old. 16, 17. Oh my god, not even legal. I had a callback yesterday for 15. It's impossible. Oh, Jesus it's Peter Pan syndrome. And yeah. you're going to be thankful you have it. But then when you're like 80 and they want you to play old people, then what are you going to do? When I'm 40, I plan on being a college student. You're going you're gonna to ride that horse till it dies. And I'm, I'm all for it. There is nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. You're doing you at this point, And that's all Absolutely. that matters, Chris. Thank you. And you're doing all kinds of fun stuff. You were just in Texas this past weekend. Yes, and I'll be there next weekend, too. Oh, yeah. I'm actually that. there like next weekend, two weeks from then, and also September and November. Is it weird for you being a performer who travels? Like you had this huge time frame of obviously you had, like a year of not being able to do anything. Mm. Like are things like all of a sudden are they picking back up? Does it feel like you're right back to where it was, or how does that uh, differ for you? Can I tell you? It almost feels like more. Okay, so I got lucky. Like, not I don't want to stray too far from anything, giving my life story. But I got very lucky that during the pandemic, um, for those who who know or don't know, I I wasn't uh, I didn't spend a lot of time with my family growing up. So I got to spend a lot of time with my family for like six months, and it's the most time I've ever spent with my parents. So I got to like get to know them as adults during that, and then I booked the Lifetime film during it. So I left, and I kind of like within the last two months, things have gone from zero. To 100. I'm working on five films, yes. finishing the EP. Our, we have tour dates almost every weekend until 2022. Yes. And um, I have been, fingers crossed, I keep getting called in for some big things that I'm not obviously allowed to talk about, but things that if I book, I'm like, holy moly, this is everything I've ever wanted. But once I get it, I no, want that's more. That's amazing. Uh, but That's amazing. You're super talented. <laughs> but it does feel like it, like, it really did. I feel like I just jumped right back That's in. awesome. And deserving. Uh, 
in a Super good way. Super deserving. You should be working. Yeah, Thank for sure. You. And tell us again really quick, because I know we're about, we're going to segue here into the, into the film in a second, but I do want to point out, you mentioned you're involved in a Lifetime movie. Can you repeat the name yes. uh, for the listeners? And if you know anything about uh, the release or the dates or anything, is there anything you can share with that? Sure. Uh, the Lifetime movie, it's a, it's the third part of a, of a trilogy film series on Lifetime called Stalker's Prey. It is called A Predator's Return. It's Stalker's Prey 3. It comes out May 22nd at 8 p.m. Yes. On, I believe, Lifetime Television Network, I think. Because I know they have a movie network, too, but I think it's television. And if you don't have Lifetime, I, it'll be on Amazon. Yes, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, as you should be. That's excellent. Although I, you know, um, I don't the best of... Uh, bragging about my my best world uh i will actually be performing in indiana during the premiere of it so i won't actually get to watch when it premieres but i'll watch it the next day <laughs> well if it's going to be able to be streamed i'm taking it you'll be able to stream it there's almost something better about knowing that you're something streamable that's not like a one time and you miss it like it's at people's fingertips whenever they want to watch it that's a pretty good feeling yeah my mom finally thinks i've made it too She's like, oh, you're going to be on Lifetime, now you're a star. Yeah, well, I think any mother, if they had a child on Lifetime, that automatically is important to them. She's like, hopefully it's not too risque. It's, it's, the, it's the Women's Network. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. We, we can we, we, we get to say we, we got to work with you at the very beginning. You know what you should do is do an episode about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. But don't have me in case you don't like it. <laughs> Look at your arch nemesis. I don't know who that is, but we'll find it. Just to be like, I'm that actor, Chris Jenner. Or should I say Chris Jenner? <laughs> My mom. That's who you could get. Oh, She'd be like, critical. Queen Latifah wasn't in it. I didn't like this movie. Understandable. I wouldn't like it either without Queen Latifah. <laughs> That's what she always says when I do things. Sadly, you know what movie Chris, Queen Latifah is not in, but I still enjoy it nonetheless. <laughs> It's sleepawake. Camp. Is it sleepawake? Sleepawake. <laughs> I think we I, a seamless segue. God, she would have made this. Oh my, if like that would have been such a contrast to every other aspect of no, this movie. I, I think she should have played the girl at the beginning that was like on the jet ski. Dolores, she's my favorite yeah. character. <laughs> the one who's just, just I didn't even know she had a name. Is that a real name or did you make it? That's up? her name. And oh. for some reason, <laughs> when her friend yells to her, she yells. Hang on, Delore. <laughs> and she just le- like like as if Delore is a nickname Del- to Dolores. Delore. <laughs> and she's the picture of the trailer. Oh, really? Oh, Delores. Yeah, Delores. I didn't know that Dolores lingered in our minds and in our hearts so prominently. <laughs> she will be making quite an amount of appearances from my mouth Absolutely. tonight. A, a large majority of this this podcast will be based uh, solely on Dolores. Dolores. Um, <laughs> Bless her heart for giving it her all in her three minutes of screen time. She truly does open the movie. Uh. So, yes, that was a beautiful segue to talk about Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> Queen Latifah as Dolores. <laughs> in the remake, in the 2021 remake of Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> yeah. I could just see her on a pair of water skis. <laughs> I already bought tickets. Oh, man. Okay, so, folks, as always, we are going to... Spoil the shit out of this movie. And if you haven't seen this movie by now, then that's your own fucking fault. Because, I mean, who has not seen Sleepaway Camp? It came out in 83, right? So it's if you haven't seen it, you've had time. And it's one of the most most iconic horror films, slasher films from the 80s, I think. Yeah. Um, So 
we're talking about it. And you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting film and it, it, I always said I didn't want to cover it, but now I'm like, let's cover it because we got Chris Jenner here to do it. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to cover it is because a, it's been done to death. I mean, if you, if there's a queer podcast out there, a horror podcast, they've covered it. Uh, and B the whole idea of it being problematic in, in a sense because of the ending, which we will get to. Um, because I know that's a kind of a sensitive subject among many people. And in fact, when I went to watch it yesterday, I did not put the DVD, I own the DVD set, I, the Blu-ray set, but I, I actually just, because it was easier, I went to Shudder and put it on. And in Shudder's description, they even say the ending is problematic in their description. And I'm like, are you serious? So we'll talk about that, but let's, let's. Talk about this wonderful gem of a film, which honestly is a great film. I think it is. Oh yeah, I think I think there's a reason that it um, has maintained, and if, if anything, it's developed more of a following and a fan base over the course of time. Um, it's one of those movies I didn't hear about. I always heard about, like, you know, as a kid, I always heard about the Freddies and the Jasons and the Michael Myers and everything. And Sleepaway Camp kind of crept in. And the real diehard slasher fans, those are the ones who kind of kept it alive and it persevered all this time. But now I feel like I see now as an adult um, amongst, like, the real true fans of the genre, there is this utmost respect for this movie um, and what it managed to do and where it manages to succeed and some of the things it pulls off, especially in the, the makeup and gore and violence department, uh, it really, it, 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 a lot, most movies can't hold a candle to this one, I think. I will say, in rewatching it, I was, I had been a little bit since I've seen it, to be honest. And like when I rewatched it, I was like, wow, I, there really is nothing like this film. It is really the only film of its kind. It really is. And people like to dismiss it, I think, as a Friday the 13th ripoff. Um, I don't see it at I, all. Don't see that at all. I think tonally they're completely different films. I would even say I think the 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 violence and the deaths in this film are perhaps probably that some of the nastiest out of the eighties. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean that's saying a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, I think with um, <clears throat> the, that comparison, I even in the in the character structure and the whole. Um, approach to what you think of a final girl to be this movie you know obviously there's the character of angela as we are going to explore this movie the one thing that i think really the most prominent character overall for understandable reasons is angela but she in so many ways does not check a lot of the boxes of what one would describe as a final girl um but the rest of the character structure beneath her is very um ensemble there, there isn't really a defined hierarchy yes. of these are the leads and these are the supporting players. And blah, blah, blah. It's like a big, diverse, well, not diverse in the sense they're all very white people, but uh, uh, person, personality-wise, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a this big cast of characters. You kind of bop all over the place and you follow all these storylines and, and that alone makes it feel very unique um, because there isn't one character who's really uh, the driving force other than Angela's very unique story with very limited dialogue. And one um, one other thing I like about this film, and then we'll get to it, is the fact that these the the the, the kids in this film the, they look like kids. Okay, this isn't a case of like Friday the Thirteenth, the burning, 
Madman where they're casting 40 year olds to play teenagers. How dare you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Stop shaming me. Right? But you know what I mean. Well, you can pass as a teenager, obviously. You know what's funny is when we get into it, too, I have, I have something odd to ask about this specific thing. But, like, the character of Paul and Ricky are, like, prepubescent. Yeah. I mean, really, honestly. I mean, so they did a good job at actually making this look like a summer camp for kids. I mean, there are the random, like, 50-year-old-looking dudes that are out in their little short shorts playing baseball. But for the most part, the main characters look like they're of age. And I think that makes the film a little bit more disturbing because these kids look like kids. Mm-hmm. But well, let's not get... Just- Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, not just because of the, the, you know, the violence and everything, but also there's a very heavy sexual current oh, that God. carries through this movie. And that also is hard to watch at times because you're watching, you know, a lot of times you watch movies where you're following high schoolers in, the, in peril who are also like, the hormones are awakening and they're finding out who they really are and they're fucking everybody. And um, a lot of times they're played by, yeah, 30-year-olds. And, and there's it makes it easier, more maybe more palatable to watch. But now watching it played by young teens, ooh, it makes me feel like my, it makes my skin kind of crawl. There's also a bit of heavy, uh, heavy topic matter. There uh, is within that, not just between the kids of the camp, but within you know with the counselors and stuff too, and the workers. I was like, there were some things I forgot where I was watching. And I was like, uh, w- what? <laughs> yeah. But anyways, the fi- yeah, it's we're gonna get into. Oh God, there's so much to get into. We might as well just start. <laughs> so the film opens with what I think is a very like actually a very effective score which is played over um the scanning the camera scanning the, the now deserted campground and as it hits each of these cabins you kind of hear di- pieces of dialogue that happened throughout the movie over these now deserted cabins so i i guess the the, the beginning of the film is supposed to be like after all this has already happened and now this this camp is closed down because you can kind of see like some of the doors on the cabins are like boarded shut now but i think that was a really cool way to open the film with like some of the if you're if you're paying attention you could hear like dialogue that was said at these specific locations and you get all the credits with poor jonathan tierson's name misspelled in the credits of this <gasps> film <laughs> really yeah it's spelled owen i think in the in the film in the film credits and his his real name is spelled with an e n do you know how many oh, times wow. in movie credits my last name has been spelled wrong? They don't fix that? Your last name's Connors. It's C-O-N and E-R-S. <laughs> it always gets spelled O-R-S. And I've just given up at this point. <laughs> I've just given up and accepted it. <laughs> and then we get a uh, then we get the opening scene, which is actually a flashback scene, and it is a father with his two children. Um, there's a boat and Dolores. We're getting to Dolores. Why don't you and take Dolores, it, Chris? Because this is your favorite character. Well, then there's a nice switch over to my girl, Dolores, on her jet skis and her slutty friend, whatever her name is, talking to this lifeguard driving the boat. And she (laughs) hates her life. She is screaming, I want to get off. Stop, please, God. And her friend's like, shut up back there. Let me drive the boat. Which, and he's like, I'm going to get fired if I drive the boat. And she's like, please, you know, I, I like do whatever you want. And then he lets her drive the boat. And Dolores is freaking out. She's giving me a performance of a lifetime, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to do because she's on the jet ski at a high speed just screaming. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine that actress, like, she's like, I actually can't do this. And they're like, go ahead. They're like, and oh, yes, she's you can. like, 
And they're like, say these lines. Faster, faster, get that boat going. And that's actually what they put in the movie. They're like, this is cinematic gold. (laughs) Roll on it. The boat, though, they're not paying attention. And just as the father... You know what's funny is they are not paying attention because Dolores is like screaming. She's like, move the boat, move the boat. And they're like, what is she saying? And it's they're both Dol- looking this at This whole her. movie would not have happened if it wasn't for fucking Dolores. Exactly. And God. her whore of a friend. Fucking, fucking Judy would still her. be alive. Oh. Uh, Why'd you bring right. that up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so the uh, right is, uh, fa- the John is his name, right? John the father, who actually is kind of a good looking dad. He was a, he was a daddy there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, his, they're his playing his around. Wa- they fell in the water. His lover shows up and it comes to the show and he's like, John, we got to go to the meeting. And I think it's cute. This was, this was 1983. So you but here's the thing. At the time, we're not supposed to think that's his no. lover, right? Well, Because is, is I, that their uncle? Was it their uncle? I don't know. I had always thought that that was Aunt Martha's husband. Oh, oh. Who, who left after. A whole new layer of this. I thought they were there visiting them. Oh. Well, I could see if you're married to Aunt Martha that you're wanting some dick on the side. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I could see that. Yeah, I, okay. I, I'll go with that. <laughs> I will go with I might that. be lying. That's I a don't plot know. point. It sound, that's up. a perfect plot point. That, that makes it more scandalous. I love it. Aunt Martha's husband's getting some dick on the side. I fucking love it. Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe that he was... Um, like the dad was Martha's brother, and maybe he was sleeping with I mean, her husband. And Martha is basically a gay man, so that <laughs> oh, makes that makes sense why he would be married to her. Either way, like there's no better no, beard than I, that. I literally thought it was a, the first time I watched this movie. I thought Aunt Martha was a drag queen, but and we'll and we'll get to we'll get to <laughs> Me Aunt too. because we're coming up on this moment that is pretty yeah, yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm jumping. It's ahead important to, to the overall impact of the the story because what what happens here sets off. A major chain of events. There's this huge boat accident. Uh, Dolores is flung from the skis. <laughs> <laughs> and she gives a monologue of screaming like, help those people! Help those keeps, people! Please. And it keeps cutting, like it cuts to like the action and then it cuts back to Dolores. Like they really milked her for every yeah. word out of her mouth. Like <laughs> Honestly, they I don't know why they didn't make her character bigger because she gave the performance of a lifetime. Oh my and god, we hit a boat! <laughs> she hasn't really worked much since. They also flew over that boat. They did. It was actually quite an impressive sequence. But essentially, you know, it's alluded to that the family was swimming and the family was struck by this boat. And they're dead. Well, and one of the... And well, Dolores lets us know it. Yes, and the father floats by dead or the uncle, whatever you want, whoever he is. Floats by dead, and then the, one of the little kids' life jackets pops up, all mangled and bloody, as we see the back of one of the little kids trying to struggle to stay afloat. It's actually Yeah, and the way, the way they film this whole sequence is very smart, because they keep... It's very... it's uh, You know one of the kids is obviously dead, but it's very hard to follow what happens and who's injured and who's not, and uh, intentionally so. This is shot in a very intentional way, but I have to say this opening, in the sense of like... Every slasher, every movie with a killer, every movie with a villain, they have a motivation. And in the sense of famous slashers, I think following the motivations of killers and why they do what they do, this is one of my favorite uh, opening sequences that really kind of sets... It, it starts knocking down the dominoes and causing everything to fall in place, you know? Um, I love this opening because this is something that I feel could very much just happen. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it has happened. Well... 
not exactly as it plays out, but you know, yeah, like it just seems like a very, uh, very realistic accident and it's very well executed and the kids are horribly obnoxious, which makes them somewhat believable. Um, and it just, it's a very strong start to the film, I think. Well, then we get eight years later and we get introduced to Ricky and Angela, uh, and fucking Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha. What a performance. <laughs> is it a perform? I don't know what it is. I don't know if I would call it a performance. <laughs> it is. She is. Art. I don't know where. I don't know if she knew that she was. What type of movie she was in or. I think about that all the time. Like, was this crafted? And she's a genius. <laughs> I feel like they just gave it to. The, they picked this actress and they're like, you know what? Take this part and run with it. And she's like, oh, I'm sprinting. I, uh, <laughs> and and she, I feel like she came in and just did the most she possibly could do. And my God, it's one of, it's something that I look at and I say, there have to be drag queens out there that have based a whole look oh my God. off of this woman. Oh. <laughs> and probably dialogue. I'm sure there's dialogue. Oh, because her dialogue in this scene is just... And the way, she's very sing-songy in her line delivery. If somebody doesn't do a drag performance to tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, but makes it about tying a ribbon around her finger, I'm that's it. And she has like these things she does, like these little movements she does with her hands, and she's very flowy, and it's just it's a very gay performance. There's you know somebody involved with the production team of this movie had to be a homosexual based off several things. First. Aunt Martha. Second, the whole gay subplot that'll be brought about, obviously. There's a few subplots. And third, the wardrobe choices. I have never seen a movie in which the men have such tight, short shorts on, and the women look like such drag queens. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> well, yeah, Aunt Martha is... It's their, Ricky and Angie are leaving for camp. Aunt Martha is going over the fact that she gave them treats, and she tied this... She has a ribbon around her finger, so she couldn't doesn't forget. So she wouldn't forget. She wouldn't forget, and she didn't either. She didn't. And she remembers their their physicals. Which you can't she go to camp them. without your physicals. Yes. Well, there's another thing that's revealed about this character. She's a doctor. What the fuck kind of doctor is this? Is what I want to know. If I walked into a doctor's office and this lady greeted me, I'm like, okay, I will just. I would turn and cough my... right there. I'm sold. <laughs> she is a sight to behold. Oh. She has like almost like a Disney yes. villain esque kind of energy. And you know, and that's really, you know what that you make a good point because she technically, I mean, looking at the the scope of the film, she is the villain of the film. Let's be honest, she's Absolutely. the villain of the film. So, I guess I think you just hit the nail on the head. Maybe she's really brilliant because she is playing this character like it is like a Disney esque villain or a fairy tale type villain, and she actually is the villain of the film. I mean, I've never seen such an eccentric performance with it's also slightly subtly eccentric like well i want to know like what the director was thinking when he when he was watching her like in his mind he was like yes this is it this is the this This is this is it either that or like we have to get off of set now let's just that was it now get her a get her a beret (laughs) oh she wears she's wearing the hell out of that beret oh my god god yeah she's also point out she has the most beautiful eyes i couldn't stop staring Stunning. at them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a performance that is just unlike any you will ever see. Like I just leave it at that. And bless her heart, it is one of the most memorable things about the film, minus the ending. I think yeah. is Aunt Martha. I almost would compare it to like an like an aging gay man giving his swan song theater performance in a local community theater production. Like it's just like he is he knows he's got to give the best performance he can the most memorable performance he can and he's going to take every second in the spotlight and he's going to bask in it but god i love it she's one of the best Excellent parts of the movie. character well and ricky's kind of a little shit um which we find out and angela's pretty much a basket case yeah and okay. she doesn't she so, just doesn't talk at all she does she not talk stares. at all she has she just stares it's a very uh uncomfortable stare like these big bug eyes and uh, but we'll get to that because you know it's Felissa Rose for crying out loud. We gotta love Felissa Rose. And I she love is amazing. Her. She will be at the Houston Horror Film Festival next month. Woohoo! Um, I'd love her. Yeah, That's she awesome. was at one. She was at our first pop up market. She's she's a. I, I hate to get off track here, but she's an absolute doll. The I'll pair to stare her. at. Yeah, she's someone who's. She's uh she's stuck with the 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 film. Uh, the, the, she's very much stuck with the genre and I think fans appreciate that and that's only helped this film I think maintain legacy I do too because she's very proud of this film and she she, she, she loves her fan. she loves the fans she loves the people that love this film and because I mean think about it this film is what 40 years old almost and she has been having to do that whole final like you know face, face. that she makes for 40 <laughs> years in pictures I'd be now like, that you say 40 years yeah. that's like crazy to me yeah, she, she yeah. loves it. She looks she's amazing. Like, I was going to say, I wouldn't even guess that she's 40, but she has to be. <laughs> yeah. She was young when she... I think she was 12 or 13, yeah. actually. The, I actually looked that. up I mean, the ages. The shows. cast was really young. They were actually their age. A lot of them. Not all of them. But anyways, the bus arrives at the camp after we get done with Aunt Martha. The bus pulls up and all the kids come running off the bus and they're all excited. And can I tell you, they are running everywhere. They are not running to a location. They are running in the bus. I think circles. the director just said, "Get off the bus and run." And run. The extras get off, run around. <laughs> We're gonna. But this is. I'll tell you guys, and I don't know if this is gonna be a bad thing for us. I am the king of watching extras during scenes. Oh God! Scenes. Thank you. Cause... So I did notice a few beautiful, beautiful moments that the extras are giving us, and this is one of them. Like you just see <laughs> random extras, like of all ages, just running in circles. Well, the way they shot this, though, I mean, uh, this whole sequence of the kids getting off, it's like one long shot, and it pans over the field. And uh, overall, I mean, honestly, I think it's a great shot introducing this location and the volume of kids, and you get introduced to some of the camp counselors, and it's just this really beautiful sequence. This movie has a lot of really long takes in these transitional moments I really enjoy, from the opening credits to this to there's a few more later in the movie, but this is a really great introduction to the location. Well, and it's also a great introduction to Artie, who is the camp chef, who is a oh. disgusting oh my God. pedophile. And I forgot and that. What kills me, okay, so he's like sitting there watching the kids run around and he's like licking his lips and sucking on a straw. And he's like, ooh, look at that fresh chicken. Where I'm from, we call them baldies. Yeah. And. This, that is pure. And his friend is like, don't say that. Just <laughs> laughs at him. Just laughs. He's like, oh, Artie, they're too young to know what you're thinking. 
He's like, there's no such thing as too young. You're only too old. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, you are really endorsing You're aggressively this kind of a pedophile. Yeah. Like, this man isn't even trying to hide it. And I get it, like, the 80s were a different time, but not for pedophilia, I feel. And this man is just very open about the fact he's very interested in these 12 and 13-year-old girls. I was, my jaw was kind of on the floor. When he started talking, I was like, well, sure don't remember that. <laughs> Yeah, and again, like, the fact that the cast is so age-appropriate in most cases with this makes it even... This is an area where it's even way more uncomfortable. Um, because, yeah, I mean, like, you look at this and he's, like, eyeballing these girls and it cuts to a shot of girls running and they're, like, children. And you're like, um, I don't know what message we're trying to send here. I, ho- I hope he dies really soon. <laughs> exactly. Well, and see, okay, so here's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Of all the problematic things about this film, I think the ending is yeah. one of the least. When I you look agree. at everything else that's yeah, happening. And you know what's funny, though? One <laughs> I mean, thing I do like about this film on. is they do kind of set it up so that, like, anyone who kind of does end up getting hurt has kind of earned it. Aside yeah. from, like, there's one kill that I don't... That I'm like, why did that happen? But all the, like, all the characters kind of have a purpose... They've done something wrong in order to reap the yeah, benefits. We're gonna of get there. We're gonna get there because that feeds into one of my big reasons for not thinking the ending of this film is as problematic as right. as people say it is. Um, but we'll get there. Um, that we get our first glimpse of Judy, fucking Judy. What Judy an icon. Is, there could be a whole episode about Judy. Yes, I I agree. Judy is a bitch. Let's just put it that. Put it out. Well, there. she but got we're her not talking now, about it. So. She has her titties. But this girl is a bitch of epic proportions. Can we just say that I know that people talk about like horror movie bitches and they bring up like Wendy from Prom Night and Melissa from Friday the 13th Part 7. Those two have nothing on Judy. I'm sorry. She's a masterclass performance of bitchery. Uh, the, from the faces, the dialogue delivery, she's never not a bitch. I, I noticed her performance a little bit more this time and she's really good. Mm-hmm. Like there are moments in this film where she, her, like she's just sitting staring at Angela. Like there's a scene where she's, Angela's talking to Paul for the first time, uh, in the, um, in the rec hall and Judy's sitting across from her and just giving her this. Between those two extras who were t- chewing gum, I watched them. Yeah, it's just like her performance is really good, and she never yeah. really did much more after that. Yeah, I think when I used the term diverse earlier and <laughs> kind of backtracked on it because, yes, this is a very Caucasian cast, but the personalities and the performances in this movie are full of a lot of very unique, individualized uh, choices that are made. And even though it's a big cast and it would be very easy to get confused, I feel that as of you watch the movie... Um, everyone is very individualized and it makes it actually pretty easy to follow the story despite the large volume of characters. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I appreciated that a lot too, that there wasn't just like, cause it would have been easy also to make it like Angela comes to camp and everyone makes fun of her cause she's so quiet, but it's a very diverse just group in general and their reactions to the people around them are all diverse as well. Yeah, because not everyone is actually mean to Angela. There are, what's that counselor's name? Susie? Su- Su- mm-hmm. Susie? I think yeah, yeah. Susie, yeah. It's like Good Witch, Bad Witch with Megan Susie. Yeah, and then there's Ronnie, who's really nice to um, to Angela. But, okay, so after the, the kids get off the bus and run, we get a scene in the cabin with Angela staring at... At Judy. And I'll tell you, I I don't want to, like, be on Judy's side, but it was awkward. 
She sat on her bed, stared directly <laughs> at Judy, and just didn't say anything. No. <laughs> was, That's how I, I get, said hello. Judy was <laughs> like, uh, do you need something? And I, I kind of get it. Because I was like, why? If she did that to me, I would be like, hello? You know, Troy, it made me think of when you threw Chris and I into a hotel for the first time together. And <laughs> Chris's way of saying hello to me was just he just sat on the bed and just looked at me just for 25 stared. minutes. Yeah, I just turned directly to Roger and I stared. <laughs> and I was like, are you... Emotionless, <laughs> just, just blankly dead-eyed staring. And she's like, you know, uh, what are you, what are you staring at me for? And of course, Angela doesn't say a thing. She just keeps staring. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, you're not, you're really not setting yourself up, honestly. No, yeah, well. Angela's really not get, not. She's not doing much in her own favor in yeah. the way she communicates with these kids. That is another thing about Angela. She really doesn't. Excuse me. She really doesn't do anything to help herself throughout this film. Well. From the bullying and stuff, obviously she, she does some shit to help herself. But I'm talking about like the confrontation wise, she never really like all she had to do. Yeah, I mean, because it is really awkward. She's sitting there staring at Judy. All she had to do is like say, "Hey." Yeah, if she didn't stare at her in the first place, she's fine. But going back to the situation of what's going on here that we find out later, this is why I like watching it and then rewatching it because moments like this make more sense to me now that I know the ending. Because the psyche of what Angela is going through, I can't imagine seeing girls whose bodies are changing and the confusion that Angela must be feeling. And so it makes sense to stare at somebody like Judy, who's obviously like her whole thing is like, my titties just came in. I'm I'm slutting it up. And Angela's kind of like, I don't know what's going on with my life and my body. And I don't know. And I'm going to suppress it. What's happening. (laughs) So, of course... Yeah, staring at Judy would be kind of like there's so much going on because like I I I think the psyche of the character of Angela is so incredible because I can't imagine what is going through their head. Yeah, there's a reason for she's so silent for a huge chunk of the movie, and there's a lot to read in that blank stare. And genuinely, like what what she's processing and at the age she's at, and there's a reason they have this cast. At, you know, kids who are 13, 14, 15, like this is a very pivotal time. There's a lot of sexuality in this movie. There's a reason you see a lot of these scenes of the boys streaking, you know, every everything, you know, that comes up because it's sexual awakening and having a camp scene like a sequence like this uh, really um, establishes that. Because, yeah, she's in the middle of this room with all these girls just getting changed and talking about their boobs. One thing I find interesting is the nudity in this is pretty limited. But when you do see nudity, it's a lot mm-hmm. of male. Mm-hmm. Lots of, yeah, it's all male, uh, male behind. Yeah, lots of lots of male butts. The males are so sexualized. You see how sexualized they are at this age, and the girls are a little more in control of who yes, they are already. Yeah, we'll get the, yeah, because the guys in this film are yeah, they're wearing short shorts, half half shirts. Some most of them aren't even wearing shirts half the time. Uh, yeah, like Billy. Yeah, and even like Ricky shirt. is walking around without a shirt on at some point, and Paul is walking around without a shirt. I mean, and these are like 13, 14 year old kids. So it, it, there is that element that makes this movie a little bit uncomfortable um, watching it. Like we also get introduced to Meg. M E G. M E G Meg. In case you are fucking questioning it. <laughs> like, what would the spelling be other than that? But <laughs> I think Meg is. Gorgeous. Yeah, I she think is. that the actress is so beautiful, still beautiful. She is Catherine Kami. Yeah, she's yeah. very, she's gorgeous. She um, is stunning. 
But she is sort of like Judy's sidekick in this whole thing. Her and Judy kind of gang up on Angela throughout the film. And then you do have like Susie, who's the other female counselor, who is very nice and caring and protective towards Angela to no avail. um, Because again, Angela won't help herself throughout the film. She just sits there and doesn't say a word and just provokes people by staring at them in (laughs) awkward ways. But yeah, so you're already getting this dynamic and you're kind of getting that conflict that's starting to arise between the characters. You already know, okay, Judy and Angela are going to be butting heads throughout this film. And Meg is not any better. I mean, honestly, like Judy is the bigger performance, but Meg, some of the things Meg says, especially progressively, is, um, I mean, yeah. she is just as big of a, of a bitch in a lot of regards. Meg's also really hot-headed. She gets more aggressive more quickly. Yes, she does, yeah. and she's, and it, it's it's more disturbing because she's supposed to be she's a counselor. Yeah. She's supposed to be yeah. taking exactly. care of the kids, not like torturing them. And and there's a lot of a uh, supposed like adult or mature figures in this movie who have no issue manhandling a child. Oh, it, the camp the, the camp <laughs> owner for crying out loud! He was shaking Ricky at one point, like just shaking him until he passes out. Like the adults in this have no issue placing their hands on kids, but it's a different time. It's the eighties. Okay, so it's 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 the next day or it's the same day. I don't know. It's dinner time, and Aunt, no, it's it's three days later because it's been three days. Three later, days. Yeah. Okay, Angela hasn't eaten in three. She days. She has not eaten in three days, and she's just sitting at the uh, cafeteria table, just staring at everybody, and sitting next to Judy for some reason. Like yes. weird seat choice. Why would you sit next to Judy? There's yeah, like really, like like out of all the places to put yourself, like this is going to be the most problematic. I'm going to not eat and sit next to Judy and just stare. <laughs> so. Uh, the Ronnie, the counselor, who also wears really short shorts, and oh my god, that red and white tracksuit he's wearing—that looks like it was—he was sewn into it. <laughs> yes. Oh my, I've never seen a pair of shorts ride a guy's thighs tighter. What than do you one. wear under that? I don't think he's wearing nothing. Anything obviously, there. there's a full dick imprint. How like do you, you have it a full-on? It's gonna fall mushroom out. Mushroom imprint. I guess the it pants are so tight. There's nowhere for it to go. It's suction. It's like those when you when you free uh, when you like suction bag those meats into like the freezer bags. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> vacuum sealing. He's like vacuum sealed <laughs> into this outfit. I digress. But he's a, he's a he's a nice guy. He takes Angela into the um, back. Cook the, the kitchen, the kitchen. The kitchen. Okay, <laughs> the, the back. The food is made. The kitchen. That's what it's. Called. Takes Angela to the kitchen, and of all the fucking people in the world, he trusts Artie. <laughs> I mean, he, he hands it right over to him. He does. He's like, here, Artie. Here's I mean, this twelve-year-old. He also says, "Well, let's be real. Whoever hired Artie to be well, we've seen who runs like, the camp. That like, was a problem. The guy that runs the camp is not." should not be running a camp. Oh, he's so attentive <laughs> he to should, children. <laughs> he should be in a nursing home is what he right. should be in. Good grief. And Angela hasn't eaten in three days, and Ronnie says, why don't you get her some ice cream? Well, at this point, why not get her some solid food? <laughs> I'm scared she's going to die. So maybe we should get her, like, I don't know, an IV drip or something. <laughs> Ice cream. Go f- go find her some ice cream in the pantry. Also, why doesn't Angela eat? The fact that her mind is imploding at, because of all of the, the sensors going off right now. I can, that's again. I can't imagine what's going on in in poor Angela's head. Artie takes Angela into the pantry and proceeds to basically begin t- to rape her. I mean, he he's unbuttoning his pant his belt. 
He's like, oh, aren't you a fresh young thing? I got something you're going to like real good. And he starts unbuttoning. Yeah, he's ready. This is not even like slightly suggested at. It is very clear that he would rape her. If, if, if events didn't transpire the way they do, this girl would have been, without a doubt in my mind, raped by this man. Yes. Oh, he was ready. He was ready. Luckily, Ricky walks in. Uh, because he's looking for his sister or his cousin, Angela, and they tell him that she's in the kitchen getting food. So he walks in at just the right moment, sees what's going on, and is like, well, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And that's one thing I like about Rick, the Ricky character for, for being a scrawny little shit. He's not afraid to confront anybody. Because he's like, gets right in, in Artie's face. What the fuck are you doing, man? And Artie grabs him and like slams him against the wall and is like, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. And they run out. And he's like, I won't. Yeah, and they run, and he doesn't. He doesn't. He does not tell anybody. Hey, you're no. He the doesn't cook tell anybody. Just raped, almost raped my uh, my cousin. So Ricky, you're a piece of shit too. Come on. The, this movie is full of pieces of shit. That's just. <laughs> I don't know why they're so awful. They're such awful characters in this. Um, anyway, so they run out of the room. They run out of the kitchen, and now we get Ricky, or we get Artie coming out of the pantry i cannot think of my kitchen terminology today he comes out of the pantry and he's like still it looks like he's still buttoning up his pants and nobody is nobody's questioning him. oh he is like he's blatantly buttoning up his pants yeah up. and nobody's like why are you buttoning up your pants and two kids just ran up i feel like this has been a common occurrence <laughs> at the camp and they just are like oh yeah. Artie, <laughs> that's not where you keep the mashed potatoes but he's but now he's making a the biggest pot I've ever seen. Uh, it is are, not a real pot. There's no yeah. way there are pots that are this big. I was going to say, are pots this big? It's a seven foot tall pot that you need a ladder to climb up. He, to the stir. man literally has to get upon a chair. On a ladder to stir it and to put the corn in it. Right away, that is a hazard, yeah. as we find out. But <laughs> I've never seen a seven-foot pot. Like, I mean, I guess if you have to feel a, feed a horde of children, like literally, like the volume of kids. In this, the pasta, he must be making so much pasta. But he's feeding, he's giving them full ears of corn. I've never, (laughs) when I was at summer camp, I did not get full ears of corn. I'm also sure that they could have had like two pots, two like half of the size (laughs) pots. They were only using the one boiler. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But anyways, he is putting the corn in the pot and he has to get up on the ladder as we, as we just said. And someone, we don't know who. Sneaks into the kitchen and basically grabs the chair out from under him. And he's screaming as he as the person starts pulling the chair. He's like, you little shit. You little. So we kind of know it's a kid. He's like, you, little, you yeah. little shit. You little shit. What are you doing? Help me. And the person yanks the pot of the, the chair away. And the, Artie grabs the pot and it falls on him. And he is covered in boiling water. This sequence... <laughs> Is like at first, like you see the pot go down, and you're like, "Oh, like I didn't see anything," and then, like you see his hands, like yeah. reaching to the ceiling, blistered, and you're like, "Oh, that's pretty violent." And then it like cuts then his face. to his face, blistered, and he's screaming, and you're like, "Oh, fuck, that's really violent," and it just doesn't go away. It just lingers. His scream his is his face. scream is pretty damn effective. It's it's very yeah. it sounds very like he's really yeah. in pain. And yeah, you're right. It doesn't. It does not cut away. It lingers on his face long enough that you actually see blisters popping on his neck. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the the effects for this are actually pretty well done. 
Yeah, the like they're literally like throbbing on uh-huh. his face, like, and you see an area of his skin start like peeling opening off, and bleeding. It's just, it is so grotesque. It's by far one of the best makeup makeup effects I can think of from the the era, or probably from a slasher or a horror movie in general. It is just an amazing. Effect. Now, my thing is, he doesn't. I don't think he dies though. They take him to the hospital. He doesn't. They take him away. Yeah. So I wonder, his friend finds him. I wonder if, um, yeah, Ben walks in and sees him and's like, mm. oh. oh, oh. Uh oh! Yeah, he's just like oh, oh, that's that's his reaction. Really, now I have to boil new water. Yeah. Um, but he, my thought was, if he doesn't die, well, maybe he probably can't talk anymore. I was going to say he's very easily can tell who did it to him or write down. He's not going to have a great. Oh, that's true. But yeah. I mean, it obviously that doesn't happen. Maybe he does die, and we just don't know. I don't know. Um, but Mel obviously Mel is the camp owner. He's this old guy that is just weird that doesn't need to be running a camp doesn't need to be doing anything like i said he is just the most (laughs) worthless camp owner i've ever met not that i know a lot of camp owners but this guy he's like i don't want anybody to know you can't tell anybody and i'm gonna make you head chef ben and you're gonna get an extra 50 dollars a week if you shut your mouth Honestly, I would have taken the deal too. Fifteen bucks? Yeah, I guess right now at this time in my life, I would do a lot, a lot for fifty dollars. <laughs> I'll do it for a salad a week. <laughs> yeah, like a Hershey bar. I'm sold. But, but yeah, so now Ben is the lead chef now, which I guess is better than Artie. Oh yeah, yeah. he's a much nicer. He guy. is a he's nice not guy. Trying to molest, Listen, but he's not trying to molest the no, children. No, he's he's comp- yeah, he's a pedophile and abler, but at least he's not like literally like salivating over the kids. Next we get yeah, next next we get a, a, a kind of a gay scene with in the boys' cabin. Is this a baseball scene? Oh no, no, it's, the, oh, it's that's coming up. This is what I wanted to ask. You the go. mind over Matt. No, it's the mind over matter scene where they're playing a joke and basically this kid, this camper named Mozart, who looks like a little lesbian, um, gets Paul's ass in his face. So this is my question. Paul was 15 at the time of filming this. Yeah. It's a child's ass. It's a, ch- it's, a chi- it's a literal child's ass. It's the ass of a child. How did, how is that a thing? How is that allowed? How do I feel comfortable watching this? <laughs> I don't. Like, first of all, I don't. I do not his, feel comfortable. I mean, his it. parents must have signed a waiver. I mean, not. I don't know why. I know. I do know why I know this because I was an English teacher. But like Olivia Hussey, you know who that is? Queen Olivia mm-hmm. Hussey, Black Christmas. She was fifteen when she uh, filmed Romeo and Juliet, and she shows her tits, and it's because her parents signed a release. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so wow. yeah, that happened, and I was like, uh. He's an actual. It child. is an actual child. It's, he's 15 when he made this. Christopher. Yeah. Co- I guess a. I guess a butt compared to like a genitalia. Well, for is, sure, yeah. Is, but like, but still, like, I was like, at this point, I was already like very much like these kids are, you know, of the age I would anticipate them to be in a summer camp, and oh, there's a there's a butt with basically a sphincter shot, like like a butthole, like it's a full like a buttocks reveal, and I'm like, oh god, there's not a hair on that. Like, that's, ooh, <laughs> make me feel uncomfortable. Like that happened, and that was what triggered me to be like, wait, how old was he when he did this? Because she doesn't look 18 playing. No, 15. he's not. He's he's young. He's young. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next is the baseball game. It's very long. Very long scene of baseball. Shorts <laughs> the shorts aren't long, though. Those shorts are not long. They are riding high. Oh, yeah, no, they're not long. You've... So this baseball scene goes on literally forever. 
I mean, I, I, I didn't really time it, but it goes on a long time. Uh, and it's just a bunch of shenanigans between the, the boys, the like Ricky's cabin. And then the other older guys are like competitive and they're just like calling each other names. And you get the famous eat shit and live bill because, you know, Bill tells Ricky to eat shit and die and eat shit and live. Bill. There's a few one liners in this movie that hold up over the test of time. I mean, the, the way the script is written, it sounds very much of the age of these kids, the swearing and the crudeness. And I also have to say during the sequence, you know, I've been asked the question if there's one horror movie character that if you could get in bed with one horror movie actor or character which one would it be and i've not i've never really actually thought of someone who i've been confident in saying until i think of this movie and i think of gino in that crop top and those denim shorts and that fuzzy tummy because i know he's of age yeah (laughs) and i think you know what mama like Mama like, mama like, mama like, mama like. <laughs> oh boy! My kind of man. <laughs> that tan Latino skin. Oh my god, he's but beautiful. is he supposed to be a, ca- a camper or is he like a counselor? He's a counselor. I was gonna say, yeah, I don't know. Okay, um, but sh- this baseball scene goes on. It could be edited down, I think, a little bit because it is. It gets kind of a little tedious. Uh, but Billy or Ricky's team ends up winning. Yay! And they're pissing off the uh the older kids. the older kids which then in turn i think kind of plays into like what happens in the next scene when they are um at the rec hall that night so the next scene is the guys they they're at the they're at the rec hall and angela is there and she is actually talking to or she's not talking to anybody judy's there talking to two guys that are like chewing gum next to her and um this is when the guys that just lost the baseball game to Ricky, they go over and ask Angela if she wants to go skinny dipping because they, they make a bet that, hey, go, go ask Angela. And she, of course, does not answer them. And all she has, to, this is another example. All she has to do is say, like, no, thanks. Instead, she just, like, stares at him. With like a, that dead-eyed expression, like it's not even like you can read anything like discomfort or mm, like a shrug. She just looks at them blankly with no expression whatsoever. And they get mad at her and start making fun of her and asking her why she's so fucked up. And they're yeah, they're very blunt. Just like, why are you so stupid, Angela? Why don't you talk, Angela? Why are you so fucked up? And they're like walking like zombies around her. Ricky comes in and a big brawl ensues. And I love how like they're fighting and like Mel. No one does. Mel and Meg are like standing right there. They do nothing. Yeah. They, they like cross their arms. They don't do anything. Uh, And so Ricky gets taken out. The guys get taken out. And um, this is when Paul goes over and talks to Angela and he is very sweet to her and he starts telling her about how long him and Ricky have been friends and he starts telling her about uh, trouble that they've gotten into in the past at camp and as Paul gets up to leave Angela he tells her good night and we get the first word out of Angela's mouth the entire film and she says good night very softly and then and then just gives a little, you know, embarrassed look away. The whole time, Judy is over there glaring, giving her bitch side eye. The whole time. Because Angela can have no joy. In Judy's world, Angela can have 
zero joy. Especially attention from a boy. A boy, yes. uh, Because I think, yeah, Judy feels like all the boys should be giving her the attention. And she's right. But, you know, what can you do? Leave some dick for Angela, at least. (laughs) (laughs) That was a bad joke. Just kidding. Okay. I just just got it. Yeah, I didn't even think about it until after I said it. Uh, Okay, so then we get... Guys' asses galore. So yes. for us little yeah. gay boys that were watching this movie in the 80s, you know, for the first time, this was probably one of the first movies I, I saw so much, like, male ass in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. For a young horror fan, it's Boner Central. Now watching it as a grown adult, like, luckily, like, the people in this sequence are, like, I think counselors. Yeah, so they're all the older people. A little bit older, including Billy, who is a character who is kind of a dick. He's kind of like an instigator, and he never wears clothing. Like, the most you see him in is, like, crop denim shorts. Other than that, he's always shirtless. And it is interesting. I mean, we can. I think we can mention it. It is interesting that most most slasher flicks get a lot of... Uh, a lot of gruff for being like sexist and like sexualizing the women and, and oh, just showing tits and ass on women. And this film does the opposite. Yeah, there's actually no female yeah. nudity. And you, yeah, even like the shower scene with Meg coming up, there's she doesn't show her tits. No. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about like what's been brought up about Angela's mental state and the overall journey the character has, and as you you know look back upon this after having watched it, I'm sure. Um, oh, I wonder if it was intentional. If that's almost they flipped the script because of this character's state of mind and who they are and. And, you know, the characters around them and these boys being boys and these girls being girls. And and um, I wonder if they flipped the script on that on purpose. I would imagine you know? so. It has to be on purpose. I mean, I, I, I don't see it being any other way in terms of, like, having your cast of, of male, young males get naked. Um, but yeah. a lot. And wear, like, the skimpiest little outfits ever. Like, it's, like, so the, the outfits these guys are wearing are just, yeah, it doesn't leave much of the imagination at all i mean that you get bulges you get asses you get abs you get everything and they're like grabbing their junk at each other and things like it is just so gay so the guys go skinny dipping and there's the one kid kenny who is one of the ones that was bothering angela in the rec hall he actually gets on a canoe with this girl named leslie and he is like just telling her that there's like snakes and water moccasins in in the in the lake and then he tips the canoe over and they all they fall in the water, and she's like, "You asshole!" I'm swimming away with and my shoes away. on. Yes, my scene's over. Yeah. And then she gets out of the water with her girls, and they all leave. And yes, one of them looks like Annie, orphan Annie, grew up, and she's an extra. This is the second podcast in a row that Eileen Quinn as orphan Annie has uh, come up. Continue. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's that girl that really. The, are you talking about the really tall girl? There's a really big, tall, curly, yeah, redheaded girl, I know and I about. couldn't stop staring at her. Yeah, I was like, just, who did this? Yeah, she's there. She's there in all her glory. He Kenny goes under the canoe, and basically, someone pops up in front of him. Well, also, I like that he just kind of is singing to himself and like saying like Leslie, Leslie, but he's alone yeah, and she's swimming away. Ba, 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 ba. He's just singing and he thinks someone pops up in front of him. You just get the head that comes out of the water. It's pretty effective. And just like they have dark, dark hair. hair and just like I think everyone in this film that gets killed before they get killed has to say something where we know they recognize who it is. 
Yeah, they're not shocked by seeing this. Yeah, person. because he's, he's like, like, what are you doing out here? Yeah, he's like, it's you. Oh, the boys are going to be happy to see you here. And then this person drowns him, like holds his head. Yeah, and he waves goodbye to us as he's drowning, honestly. Like, does not really struggle at all. He's just like, bye. That's what I wrote. He, there's absolutely no struggle at all. And now us knowing who the killer is, we know who the killer is, obviously. Yeah, it now. seems as though maybe he could have just been like, swim away or push them he could have done something he literally yeah you're right he sticks his head out of the water and is like yeah see ya bye but also knowing what we know about this character and what's actually going on with them and their bodies and so forth maybe they have a little more strength than we would have anticipated than we anticipated (laughs) could be could be i mean but still it'd be it's pretty hard to hold someone underwater and drown them it's not especially if you're treading like it's not an easy test i will say when it cuts to the guys calling back to him you see the boat kind of bobbling. You know, you mm-hmm. see the boat rocking. Like, you you cut away from what the commotion under the boat pretty quick. So, and you don't really see exactly what happens under that boat. It's more left to, like, the imagination. And obviously you know something because of what happens the next morning. But, um, yeah, there it's definitely, like, you don't see a whole lot of the drowning. Yeah, so maybe she stabbed him. Who knows? Maybe when she was under the water, she had a knife and stabbed him. Who knows? He does have, like, when he is found, he's got a little bit of blood and stuff on him. Yeah, but is that from maybe, like, um, because he's been underwater overnight, the fact that he's his body's bloated? Like, I don't... How long does it take for that? I don't really know. All I know is when you do see the body, it's a fucking great effect. So this is awesome body reveal number two uh, with an amazing effect with a snake coming out of the mouth. Yeah, one because the very next morning, one of the other counselors finds Kenny's body under a canoe, and there is a lingering shot of his face that's all like pale, and there's seaweed in his mouth, and a, a snake like a proceeds to like crawl out of his mouth. It's yeah. disgusting. It's basically it's obviously got to be a doll or a mannequin, but it's such a well done one that it's like yeah. it's, you're just so impressed by the reveal. What can I tell you? I watched this with a friend, and she was like. Oh my god, how did that actor stay so still when that snake came out? I said, girl, that is a, that's definitely not him. That's a doll. But the fact that they even got that response from your friend means that they did a pretty fucking good job. Not you thinking that that's the actor. (laughs) Yeah, it's, no, it's a really good, really good effect. And of course, the body gets taken away, and Mel again is very defensive. He does, Mel, the, the camp owner, he does not want anybody to know. He's no. like, tell him it's an accident. He, this was an accident. And that cop with the mustache, we get to see him for the first time. Oh no, the mustache. Yeah. The mustache. Why did they do that? I don't know. It seems to-, to me it looks like pieces of lead taped together that he put on his face. Yeah, it looks a little bit more realistic when he's first introduced than it does at the end and i'm wondering if like he shaved it off and like had to come back to film his final his end scenes like shit you had a mustache when you filmed your first scene we better draw it on you (laughs) i actually didn't even notice it really in the first scene it wasn't until later because it's close up because i I think in, in the first scene i think it's his real mustache in the second scene with him at the end, it's not. It's totally fake. Oh my so I'm God. thinking he shaved it off and then had to come back and film his scenes. And they're like, oh, well, we better give you a mustache since you had one in the opening Here, take scene. this felt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> with this 
glue. Here's some duct tape. Put it on your upper lip. <laughs> but yeah, so Mel is being defensive. He's like scream. He screams at Ronnie about nobody's gonna know. And yeah, so this is the second death at the camp. And now we cut to a volleyball game with Judy and her side pon- ponytail with her shirt with her name on it. Even she was wearing a Judy is iconic. She is inspiration to gay men. She is a fashionista. She is a trend starter. That shirt. I would a wear a shirt with my name on it. B wear a shirt with Judy's name on it. And have a giant side yeah. ponytail. Oh my god! If only I could grow my hair out that long. I'm balding. I'll get you a wig, Judy. Thank wig. you. <laughs> So, Paul comes over and starts talking to Angela. And now Angela's actually very chatty now. She's yeah. she's full. In. Turns out she can talk. She can talk. She can hold a conversation. And she's, has, she's more than happy to talk to Paul. Um, she has a thing for Paul. However, Judy gets pissed. And it's like, how come Angela gets to talk to the boys when we got to uh, play volleyball? What said, is she? What? Special? I wrote down that quote. What is she? Special? And kind of, honestly, Angela is kind of... I mean, she's had a very special life. She's had a very special series of events happen to her. So in a way, yes. Well, and then uh, May goes and yells at her. And is like... Yeah. You listen here, you little bitch. If if you're not going to play volleyball, (laughs) you sit there and shut up and don't talk. Meg's very aggressive. At this point, I get it. I get it, Meg. Like, if that girl was just disrespecting me... Well, and here's oh, yeah, the thing is you literally, me. here's the thing, like you literally, as Meg being the camp counselor, I literally just saw her talking. I know she can talk. Yeah. yeah. She won't talk she to won't you. She won't talk to you. She won't acknowledge She won't you. play volleyball. No. So, but she will flirt it up with this boy. Yeah. And then ignore me, but stare at me while I'm sleeping. I don't, I'm mad. Isn't this, this isn't this, is this the part where, where Meg grabs her and starts shaking her and, and like, yeah, no, she's like, you little bitch. Isn't that, at, that's at the swimming pool. <laughs> oh, that's at the swimming pool. Yeah. She, Meg is just constantly aggressive. So it's hard to she's keep very her. Angry. Yeah, She's very angry. Yeah. She's angry. But I get it because yeah. spoiler alert, she's sleeping with the. Oh God. Don't even go Man there. in charge. Ugh. The, the elderly man. Yes. yes. That, I thought that was the case. She really is. Yes, she yeah, is. they have. A, oh, girl, yeah. you could do so much so better. I think that's why she's angry because he's not showing her enough attention because he's trying to cover up all the murders. He's well, he probably old. can't get it hard either. I would be. Yeah, he's literally. Like, like, for this let's be clear. He's roughly sixty years old. He's more than sixty. Right? Probably. He's pushing oh seventy. Oh my god, that poor girl. She is settling too low. Yeah. The bar is too low. And I'm hoping she's 18, because if she's not, that's also right back to the pedophilia. It would not surprise me if she was not 18. I was a camp counselor when I was like 16. Yeah, I she I think she's I don't think she's 18, honestly, in this mm-hmm. film. I mean, I think she's supposed to be like younger than 18. I don't know. Um, Woof, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of woof in this movie. So now it's after the movie. Because, oh, Paul had asked Angela if she wants to go to a movie. She agrees, even though she says we have to go anyway. Anyway, so now it's after the movie. And Paul is, Paul and Angela now are an item. Like, they're 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 an item. They're holding hands. They're holding hands. Yeah. Judy is not happy. I don't know what Judy's problem is. Like, she could have any of these hot guys. And she is just, like, fixated. Yeah, Judy doesn't even like Paul no. like that. I think, I mean, is she, she just jealous? She just doesn't want Angela to be happy or have a... Have a yeah, game. that's like, her Her anger is just, just just very directed towards Angela with no real rationale other than I'm a bitch. And that's all that matters here is how bitchy I can be. And this is when Paul kisses Angela for the first time. 
and she i think it's so cute it's awkward in the in the right way it is awkward and she, you can tell she's very uncomfortable and then he does it again yeah it gets a little bit rapey yeah just a pinch well this honestly to me this is the start of paul's downfall it is with angela it is he's like can i have another one even though he knows she's uncomfortable you can tell she's uncomfortable he's like uh, can i have another one like and that's when she's like, I got to go. Bye. And it is. You're very right. Because up until this point, Paul was, I thought, he is so sweet. He's cute. Uh, and he just, he really likes Angela. It's very cute. But then he he does, his personality definitely, shh, true personality starts to show. Uh, and it's not pretty. Yeah. Rapey is a good, because there's another thing he does later on that's very rapey as well. Absolutely. Um, and I think that this starts to open that dialogue between uh, the dynamics of guys that do these kind of things where it's like Paul is in a in a sense, he's the nice guy, mm -hmm. but he's also like got this side of him where if you were to think like if you're talking to Paul about it, I know he thinks that he's still being a nice guy. Yeah. 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 Well, and one of the notes like I wrote, because I was trying to look at this as like viewing this for a first time again, which is difficult, you know, a movie like this or Halloween or something you've seen so many times. You also want to try to watch it with fresh eyes when you're going to really dissect it. So the first time you hear Paul and Angela talk, you're like, wow, Paul is genuinely seeming such a nice guy. He's seeming like such a genuine guy. And then you have a moment like this and he kind of uh, just fucks up and it makes me think of like movies like Jennifer's Body and all these other movies that have really taken the idea of the 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 male character who is supposed to kind of be the good guy and he just really just kind of lets you down. Well, he's I you know? he, I think he feels like he's entitled to her affection because he's treated her nice and he's like the only person that's really exactly. So he's like, "Well, yeah, you're going to kiss me, bitch. Who else? Nobody else is talking to you. Like, who who are you?" But I think that sets the stage for a lot of how things like that really happen um, and how uh, a lot of guys don't realize that it's even happening because it's so ingrained in just their natural thing of like, I'm a nice guy and this is what I get for it. So, but you're, you know, not nice if, you're, if, you, if you need right something. Right now, we live in a time period where this is very much called out. In the 80s, this is something that I think a lot of characters stayed quiet. Would, or not characters, but, you know, females, women. Who this Angela's really to, already quiet, quiet enough. Yeah, and she's already quiet. So in a way, in a way, as this progresses, is it in a way calling out how, you know, women are treated, how men speak to them, considering everything that happens and what we know happens at the end of this movie. And, you know, the outcome with Angela being what it is, it's just, just pointing out the fact that a female, that men feel like they can t treat a female or talk to a female or are entitled some to something from a female uh, that the female they may not want to necessarily uh, reciprocate. And in this, you know, it just so happens that this female does not necessarily want to reciprocate, you know, and, and we, as we learn more. And again, the psyche of Angela in this moment being kissed by this boy, like what is going through Angela's head? Because knowing the outcome, there's has to be, it's more than just like, I had my first kiss, but I didn't really want it. It's like, um, what, a, what's going on here? Yeah. Who am I? What is this? Yeah. Is Why this okay? Am I so not right. And, because yeah, the... yeah. Is this even right? Am I interested in this? And then the flashback, obviously, that comes to seeing their father, and you know, it, there's so many layers to what 
this person would be feeling in this moment. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of people, and, and not to dive into this too much because this is going to be for the end, but a lot of people bring up the uh, situation with the character reveal being very problematic. But I think a lot of this is pointing that this character was not intentionally, this character was forced into this this mentality. This 100%. Is not, yeah, this character is not a trans. Uh, I mean, let's just say it. People know this movie like the back yes, of their hands. Yes. This character is not a transgender individual. This character is someone who is forced into a certain lifestyle by an uh, an adult figure who is very eccentric and strange and chose to re- raise them a certain way, all things considered. And that was fine because as a child, they didn't necessarily understand. But now they're starting to understand. And that is fucking with their mind. And they, they're not responding well. And all of these things are setting off all of this uh, shit going on in their head. And of course, this boy coming on to them aggressively against, you know, kind of against their will is going to cause them to respond poorly. And meanwhile, they're in the midst of seeing literally... It's, it's puberty time. So you're seeing all these different people and what they're experiencing. You brought it up earlier, like boys being boys, girls being girls, blah, blah, blah. This person, I assume, is so lost mentally about where they fit and what feels right and what, what their identity is. Because they feel a certain way, I'm sure, but they are being forced to express themselves a certain way. So it's it's so interesting that this would all be happening during the pu- puberty time. Well, we'll get to that. That's that's a conversation to have at the end because there's a lot I want to say uh, about that. But it's like I said, that we'll save that sort of for the end. But let's get to the end as quickly as possible because that's what people want to hear us talk about. I think is the end of this film. But we'll we'll go through. Uh, and speaking of, of puberty, kind of the next scene is Judy basically confronting Angela in the cabin about not showering with the other girls. And this is like Judy's like paramount bitch moment. I mean, she goes in full force on Angela. She gives it to us. She's like, Hey Angela, how come you don't shower with the other girls? You queer or something? I bet you haven't reached puberty. You probably have no hair down below. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then Susie, Susie steps in and is like, leave her alone. She's just, you know, she's, she's allowed to, um, shower Shower when she she wants. wants. And she's like, oh, she's a real carpenter's dream. Flat as a board and needs a screw. And then she slaps her. Susie slaps her. Susie slaps the shit out of Judy. She does. And she feels bad about it. She's like crying. Oh my God. She gives me an acting moment where she is in tears while Angela's like, okay, I'm going to go now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I have to say that um, I can't think of a bitch character in a film more, at this point, more deserving of an epic, grandiose, violent kill sequence than Judy. She really like, I mean, she just takes the fucking crown with this moment. She's such, uh, and excuse my language, cunt, um, because I can't think of any other words that really would, would fit how just how maniacal this girl is. She is, she is. Uh, so as, and as poor Angela's walking out, wherever she's going, she's going, where did she say she was going? She was going to go. She, get, I think she was going to the swimming hole or something. I don't know. Well, she's she like, doesn't I'll swim- be back later. Yeah, but she gets water balloons thrown at her. This water balloon is one of my favorite moments because she is knocked out. Like, that water balloon hits her chest and she drops. Yeah. And she's on the ground until the end of the scene. 
She is. The yeah. guys are like laughing, and Billy, Ricky is screaming, "You little, you fuckers, come down here!" And like they miraculously get off that roof pretty quick, very fast. Because <laughs> Mel comes, it's like get off the roof, and like there's not even like a second that passes, and all of a sudden they're there. Angela's climbing out of the ground. Yeah, there are so many things being done against poor Angela, and Mel like proceeds to form a vendetta against Ricky. Yeah. Yes, like he out of all the Ricky's people, doing this. Yeah, he thinks Ricky is the the one who's like problematic, and like these kids are doing just horrible things to this girl, and he is yes, he's defensive as her relative, but like out of all the people to have issue with, are you really gonna hold it against this kid who's actually like you know being a stand up guy and defending his cousin who obviously has mental trauma because she's completely mute? Like I just. Don't don't understand this adult's reasoning no he's a dick he he, he he's he watch he just doesn't even he he's like oh angela get up and go change your shirt before you get pneumonia i mean he, he doesn't like go and like help try to be like oh are you okay you know what no just get go change your shirt you're gonna get pneumonia it's cold out this girl is aggressively bullied like Day after day, I'm <laughs> tapping this in teacher shortage moments. But like, seriously, this, this child is—it <laughs> applies here. It applies. The adults are not doing their jobs. These are fucking camp counselors, and they should be in a place of authority. And the, the last thing they seem to care about is the fact this girl is being horribly traumatized. Nobody has a problem. No, nobody does. <laughs> Billy. That's the shirtless guy with the with the um, short shorts. He is looking good. He's well, looking he good. has to go take a dump though. He's he, a wicked dump. Yeah, a wicked, a wicked dump. dump. <laughs> Out of all the times for me to say he's looking good is when the guy goes to shit. But yeah, somebody. <laughs> yeah, and this scene, he's man. basically locked in this bathroom stall with a broom handle, and then someone, yeah. the killer, cuts the screen and somehow finds a beehive. An entire beehive. Walks behind the thing and puts it through. Nobody noticed. Also, he didn't try to climb out from under the stall or anything, but every single bee from that hive definitely got their sting in. Okay, listen. The volume of bees in this sequence is absurd. That being said... three for three at this point with the kills because this sequence it is very like you don't see like the anything that's happening within the stall but you see the the broom handle breaking because of the force of him hitting against it and that alone is really jarring because i mean like you got to think of how much force this guy's got to be putting on this door as he's screaming and beating on it and finally the door breaks open he falls and you get this fucking gnarly gnarly reveal of his body as it pans down his arm and you see the amount of welts from the bee stings and you see his face and it is literally covered in a sheath of bees i've never seen this many bees in my life it's like candy man just came out of that bathroom stall yeah and like i Ten said times over. he could have easily crawled out from under the stall if he wanted to but he doesn't try but i guess if you get attacked by a swarm of bees i guess if yeah, you're panicking you're not think too about that. Like... so now he's dead so this is when now this is the third death and now this is when mel is like um yeah Someone has to be doing this, and he insinuates he knows who it is, and he's going to stop him. And he's like, I've seen his face. I've seen his eyes. He's, I I know what he's up to. And I don't know how he comes to that conclusion, because he's wrong. 
I, why, why does he think Ricky he is wrong? He is wrong. I don't know why he wouldn't think it's some of these little asshole boys that are like, have no problem throwing a fucking water balloon at another camper. But it's, hey, it's Ricky is the one that's killing everybody. Okay. Then this is when Paul and Angela go to the lake. And this is when we get the whole scene where he, they're, they're chasing each other around. They fall. He gets on top of her and like starts kissing her. And she clearly says no. And he's like, yeah. I'm not doing anything. And he starts feeling her up. Yeah. This is also when she has a flashback, I think, to her father making, uh, kissing a man. What a her cool sequence, her. though. Because the way they film this flashback, like, it's very much a dream state. But you see, like, yes. the POV of the two kids seeing her father figure, you know, the father and the man in bed and then it cuts to the kids in bed and does this amazing rotation where the bed is rotating and spinning and uh, looking back on it the fact that you see the girl you know angela the child on the bed and the brother pointing at her and you don't know what that means but what like now having seen the movie multiple times over what a like well handled like kind of dream sequence cutaway it's a really it tells a lot one one or two shots you know and also the idea of like, um, you know, because knowing what you know after the ending, essentially, Peter is kissing Paul, or Paul is kissing Peter. And is Peter comfortable with that? Is that, like, seeing uh, this in the history, it makes it so that like, this isn't that abnormal, because I've seen this before. But simultaneously, am I comfortable with this? Is this what I want? I don't know. Also, I'm Angela. I don't know. Like, what does that mean? And it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's, I think it's a very in intentional that this flashback was placed here at this particular scene. I mean, obviously, but, and it just makes it a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, thought provoking knowing the ending of the film. I, I just don't, I, yeah, I don't think the film gets a lot of credit where it's due in terms of how it handles uh, homosexuality. Not at all. Considering it was 1983. Uh, I think uh, a lot of misplaced focus or you know outrage is 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 placed at the ending of the film which again i think is undeserved but we're going to get there but i mean just to show like homosexual characters and it's not like i don't think it's showing them in a negative light at, at all it's like two guys that are in love i mean these are the same two guys that at the beginning of the film we we now know it was the two guys from the beginning of the film they're obviously in a, in a relationship dedicated relationship it's not like they're negative it's a negative portrayal i mean they're in love they're in bed together the kids just happen to be seeing it and the kids yeah they're laughing but however they're kids i mean I'm sorry, I'm gay. I've I remember like if I was a six to seven year old kid and I saw a guy kissing a guy, I'd probably laugh too. I mean, that's what kids do. It's nothing Honestly, in general, seeing anybody it's kiss not a it's like, not Ew. a negative <laughs> thing, you know. So I appreciate how this film handles the whole gay subtext. And I know that a lot of other gay individuals have an issue with it. I don't. Um and I think yeah. we all bring different perspectives, different um, experiences to a film. And I, I just feel like this one handles it pretty well as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And that's not saying I can't see why some people would say, oh, it's problematic. But whatever. We'll get to that again. I want to get to that. I want to get to that. We'll get yeah. to the end. So now we get a capture the flag game, which like the baseball game goes on way too long. Um, the whole purpose of this scene basically was to set it up so that Paul and Judy make out and Angela sees them making out. I mean, yeah, 
And also those kids were really bad at the game. I watched them playing it. They could, they were in a huddle and couldn't get each other's flags. It was, also, I don't know what the age range of this camp is, but if you watch, there is one very, very, either young or small girl. It's very petite. I saw in her In the too. midst of, she, the little blonde girl. Yeah. She, it was like they threw a two-year-old in there and were like, go ahead, girl. It's like someone's like, I have a child and I'll produce the movie if you put her <laughs> yeah. in it. It's like, uh, We got okay. the perfect scene All for ages. her. All ages. We got the perfect scene for her. She's going to be in the c- capture the flag game. Run, little bitch. Get that flag. <laughs> run around. Run, don't grab a flag, but run around. <laughs> but anyways, Angela finds, sees, Judy lures Paul into the woods. They make out. Angela finds out. She's not happy. That was the whole purpose of this scene. Okay. So the next scene is and Jude Angela like just loves sitting at the lake and just staring at the water. I mean, there's like five scenes yeah. where that's just where she's at. She's not getting in the water. She's just sitting there. Paul comes to apologize and she's not having it, especially when Judy comes and's like, Oh, Paul, I can't believe you're talking to her after what a prude you said she was. And he's like, he has to, he has to scurry away with his tail between his legs. That's my favorite response is like, instead of being like, I didn't say that. He's like, actually, I gotta go. Yeah. He's like, I gotta go. I absolutely said that. (laughs) You called her a prude. Well, my, sounds like my time to head on out. And this, and this is, I think when Meg comes over. Well, this is when they throw, they throw her into the water. Oh, they throw her in the water. Get in the water, you little bitch. Tired of you not swimming. This is like abuse. I mean, yeah. Nobody. How do you know? How do you know that the this girl? The reason why she doesn't get in the water because she legitimately doesn't know how to swim. And you're gonna like take her to the right. dock and throw her in the deepest part of the lake. Also, <laughs> nobody does anything. There's a lifeguard there. Well, and what's great about this whole sequence is like as this is happening in the background, you have the whole scene where Mel is like yeah. taking Ricky and he's like, I know you've yeah. done it, I know you killed these kids. And like her she's getting <laughs> screaming, <laughs> getting pulled towards like down the dock and this very long, drawn out sequence, like over her shoulder, she's screaming nobody and he's is just helping. shaking Ricky as though he has anything to do with it. And this. all these extras are they're staring. they're living for it. well they 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 get they love they it. get to throw sand at her they do they do there's also one random girl who's just like sitting on the dock watching it's she's Dolores it's Dolores she's like oh my god oh she's, no she's oh my god Dolores I knew they and she's like someone do something about that help those people <laughs> but no I do have to say that the something to acknowledge the kids that are throwing sand are probably like. Eight, nine, they ten. get their they get theirs though. To These be are acknowledged. The, yes, it's the kids for their comeuppance. Yeah. Oh, it's that's them. Yeah, it's that's them. That's, that's the, the kill that's the that, that I thought wasn't Eddie. justified, and you just justified yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Oh my god. My eyes have seen the light. I know, right? And it makes it that much more shocking knowing that they are fucking children yet again. This is when we find out after this scene. It's the night. Meg gets the night off. This is when we yeah. find out that her and Mel are an item because she goes up to Mel and she's like, oh. Yeah, she's going to go on a date with him. I can't dinner. think of anything more disgusting. I honestly can't think of anything more. Meg is so beautiful. I don't know why she's doing this. Where is her self-esteem? Because she's like, I'm going to get a better job at the camp next summer. Just you wait and see. I'm going to be a manager. <laughs> I'm going to manage the snack bar. You're going to see me on my name in lights. M-E-G. Of the summer camp, name and lights of the summer camp. Yes, because <laughs> Mel is just disgusting. He's 
yeah. she makes a date with him and she's she is legitimately and this is this is what I don't understand. She's legitimately excited about it. She loves him. She she is legit like there's this isn't like a case of her like hey I'm going to fuck this old man cuz he's going to make me head counselor next. No, she's legitimately like she's like I got a date. I got a date. I got a date. She's telling everybody. I can't tell anybody who it's with, but I'm going to shower. I got a shower. Hey, I got a shower. Will you guys let me go first in the shower cuz I got a date and they're like fuck And all you. those extras said no, 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 girl. No, man. So she goes next door to take a shower. And that's a bad choice yeah. for her. Yeah. Because as she's humming, Because as she is oddly singing in the shower. <laughs> yeah, and, and just rubbing the soap like over and over again. She's not even putting on her body. She's just like and she's up against the she's up against the back of the shower door or the shower wall. And someone comes in and stabs her through the shower. And not only that, they pull the knife down. Ugh. All the way down her back. It is yeah. so... That happened to me in a movie before. Did it really? Which one? It's not out yet. Oh, well, damn it. <laughs> damn it. We want to see that shower scene. You'll have to tell us after. I'm not in the shower. I'm, I'm fighting to the death. Oh, he's fighting to... Wow. Somebody uh, sticks glass on my back and rips it Ew, good. Uh, Great would, effects. That would hurt. I don't know. And I kind no. of feel sorry. No, I don't. I mean, I kind of feel, feel bad. You know I, what? I feel like Meg gets a bad rap. I mean, um, she has a temper and she is very violent for no reason and she's rude. But did she deserve to have her spine slit open? I don't know. Well, and I have to say, like, out of all the kills in this movie, like, this one is pretty cool, but I mean, it's also, like, one of the least plausible. Because I think of, like, if someone were to take a knife, stick it into a, the spine, and just rip downwards, like, that is, like, bone and tendon. It is, yeah. you have to saw, and this knife is just cutting through it like butter. It's also going through the, like, the wall thing between them at the same time. Exactly, which is like a, like a tarp material, because it's a shower, but yeah. It's very, um... It's a, it's uh, the execution as with a few of the kills in this movie. The execution of the kill leaves a pinch to be desired, but the reveal makes up for it and then some. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Meg is gone. Uh, poor Meg. R I P M E G. Did you write that down? <laughs> I. <laughs> that's my only note. <laughs> in the yeah. <laughs> Actually, what I wrote was Meg slutting it up. Yes, with the old man. Okay, so in the meantime, after Meg gets killed, we get a scene with these Eddie, one of the counselors, taking this group of boys camping in the woods, and it's the same boys that were throwing the sand at at Angela when she left the when she got pulled out of the lake. Paul again, Paul approaches Angela again to apologize. I just fucking be done with Paul already. He's an asshole, Angela, and she is. We don't know that she is because she actually is like. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's all excited. Holy cannoli. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it worked. I'm a charmer. Um, and then we cut back. The boys that are camping with Eddie want to take. One, one of them wakes up and wants Eddie to take him back. He's like, I'm cold, Eddie. I'd be like, shut the fuck up. I'm not taking you. You're in the fire, you little bitch. You're in a summer camp. This is what happens. <laughs> and he has the whiniest voice. I'm cold, Eddie. I'm cold. I want to go home. <sighs> yeah. A lot of the children, like the children, children portrayed in this movie do a very good job of being horribly detestable. Yeah. I'm not a fan of kids anyway. I agree. I agree. 
Let me drive this boat. Poor Troy, you're a teacher. Mm, high school. That's why I do high school. Touche. Even worse. <laughs> right. yeah. Okay, so this is when Judy, we cut to Judy. She's making out with, I think, Mike now, the blonde little studly Mike. This bitch has given everyone in this summer camp uh, gonorrhea. Like, chlamydia out the wazoo. She wants Maybe she's dick. born with it. Maybe she's craving the dick. However, she gets cock blocked because Mel comes in looking for Mag. And Mike has to hide under the bed. After Mel leaves, Mike comes out from under the bed. And he's like, I'm going to go now. Um, so she's pissed. He came in his pants under the bed. So he. I think he had to have because he's like, doesn't. I mean, this is a teenage boy. Okay. You are trying to tell me a teenage boy is not going to stick around to at least get a hand job. It kind of makes me think of the scene. And remember in the Sorority Row remake where Chugs is trying to make out with that <gasps> freshman? And then he's like, this I is kind of... I love the Sorority Row It's remake. one of the best. And he and he's like, this is just kind of gross. And she's like, you're probably gay anyways. <laughs> like, it kind of gave me that vibe. You, you taste like vomit. Yeah. yeah, but it's okay. I had a mint. <laughs> I love her. Chugs is my spirit animal. But yeah, it kind of gave I me Chugs you, that's vibe. Ta- that's Tawny from the Even Stevens. I didn't even know it. I love her. I love that movie. I love that movie. Leah Pipes. Oh, uh, we love her with her. With anything her, to me. She's the best villainess. We'll talk about that in another episode. Book. Yeah, yeah. Book. Bring market. me back for the remake. Book market. <laughs> I could go on about that film. So anyway, she's pissed. She calls him a chicken shit, I think, and he's like, look, he like walks. Yeah. He leaves. He leaves. Like, dude, you could have at least gotten a blowjob or a hand job. Like, come on. I think he must have, you know. I think he did. Pre finished yeah. in his pants. Yeah. This is when Mel goes next door and finds Meg's body. And he has the reaction to end all reactions. What a scene. It's a big one. It's a big response. Also, can we point out that Meg's dead body has been in the shower this whole time, but she catapults out of that bitch the moment he walks in the room. She's like dying. It's like... (laughs) She like launches herself through the curtain. Like what was holding her up? She was waiting for Mel. I mean, obviously. <laughs> she was like, you didn't take me out on a date at all. I'm going to show you. But her body falls out and it's like rigor mortis and bruised. And there's a big old, c- it's really good effects. Again, the makeup effects are really good. Yeah. Great slit on her uh, back. It looks great. Yeah. Across the board, the makeup in this is just. But Mel is like, he it. did it. Not you, Meg. I got to stop him. And he's like freaking Not out. Not you, Meg is my favorite. Not you, Meg. Not you, Meg. <laughs> like, oh, he did it to get back at me. Like, how this guy's fucking delusional. What? A, what a he's moment. A, he's also banging a child, so. Yeah. <laughs> Not the teenage girl I'm sleeping with. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess if I was that man and that was the ass I was yeah, banging, I, mean, I too he, would be He's like, not going to get better than Meg, let's be honest. No, no, but this next scene is when Judy is <gasps> on her bed curling her luscious locks with her curling iron. In the dark. In the dark. Beautiful. Someone walks, someone actually opens the door and is like standing in the doorway and you get a you get a silhouette and you can see the face pretty clearly although it still doesn't really look like either Angela or Ricky. I mean, it, it honestly th- it's to the me hair. looked like partially Ricky with the hair yeah, of Angela. Yeah. It was really strange. You know, it looks like it, yeah. It looks like Angela, but yeah. as a boy, is what it looks like. It does. It looks like Angela dresses a boy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's a good. I never thought about that. The person approaches mm-hmm. Judy, and again, like everyone, she recognizes the person. She's like, "What are you doing here?" And the person punches her in the face, and and it knocks her out again. A hit, and my girl is like on the pillow, like, "Oh my god." <laughs> oh my face! Oh, well, she's not cold. She's just literally. 
Yeah. And now the killer takes the curling iron and we get an iconic curling iron death scene. Which, which is not graphic at all. It's only done through no, shadow. You like you see the, the person raise the curling iron and you see the shadow going down and all of a sudden you hear it sizzle and Judy's hands shoot up yeah. and she just starts screaming bloody murder. I will admit when I was when I first saw this, I did not know what happened. I was like, oh, this person got stabbed with a curling iron. How that's hard. Like how how do you do that? <laughs> that's hard. But what that's hard. How'd they stab how they the, But now <laughs> knowing what happens, ouch. Oh my god, yeah. And like the fact that yeah. like, it's the shadow play and the score. Like as soon as her hands you see the the shadow of her yeah. hands go up against the curtain yeah. and you get this amazing sting and it's just like and you just it lingers on the hands which are like grasping like claws because of obviously girls in pain. Um it's it's wild. Yeah. You also hear her like squealing under yeah. the pillow. And there is a subtle shot of them opening yeah. her leg. Her coochie is basically fried with the curling iron. Yeah. Would that kill you? I Yeah. But would this kill that's my question. Would this kill you? I maybe she was suffocated during it. I'm a, it could be. Or it's just I'm I'm assuming like it's extremely it. painful, um, yeah. so she probably like Yeah. Out and I mean her and, face is under I mean, a pillow. What if Judy is alive? That, just think about in it. In our hearts and in our minds. She is alive. We're going to... We're, we're. She just... She's in an insane asylum because her coochie was burned and she couldn't deal with the abdomen. It's burned shut. Poor thing, though. That would hurt. <laughs> we've all been oh, we've there. All, we've all had our coochies, our coochies burned, burned shut. shut. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> it's That's brutal. That is a brutal... But she deserved it. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's horrible. Um... So now Eddie gets back to the camp and he finds all the boys are chopped up, which, yeah, very yeah. disturbing because they're like eight years old. I forgot that they were the ones in the sand. So I was like, wow, they just killed these like six, eight year old kids and this, for no reason. And this is a That's really cool. good reveal, I think, because they're really subtle with how they do it in the sense you see all these sleeping bags and you see the hair of the boys sticking out from the sleeping bags, but they're just yeah. hacked up and bloodied. And like, and his response, he really sells it. He pukes, yeah. like he throws up. Which, uh, if I found four boys chopped up, hacked up with hacked an axe up. in sleeping bags, I too would likely vomit yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. it's disgusting. Uh, and then you cut to Ronnie, Ricky walking after he goes to get some snacks from the uh, rec hall and gets attacked by Mel. And Mel like beats the shit out of him. Just beats the holy he hell out of him. It's just pounding and just. And then he's like, "Oh, oh, what did I just do? I got to get away. I got to get away." He's te- he's talking to himself. That's what he's here. saying. He's like, "Oh, I got to get away. Oh, ooh, I got to get away." And he gets up and he like runs and he stops. Iconically, just like Friday the Thirteenth, he stops in front of the archery range or the archery target. And he's, you see, like, all you see is, like, the end of someone holding the, the arrow, getting ready to put it into the bow. Very cool shot. And he, Mel looks, and he's like, oh, it's you. It can't be you. Very cool death. You see the, you see the arrow. Like, there's no cutaway. You see the arrow go into his neck. Like, it goes through his neck. I mean, one take, it's not side, cut yeah. together. It's like, whoop. I don't know if an arrow would actually... I don't go through that specific I don't know. It spot, looks cool, but it is a cool yeah, shot really to look cool. at. And he's dead. Thank God. Yeah. Honestly, he is to me had yeah. had it coming the most. What a 
What yeah. an awful man. Uh, and then the cop with the fake mustache shows up because now, oh, because the the police were called because of the, the Eddie found the boys. Okay, now they're just finding bodies left and right. Yeah. So, so this cop with the now the fake mustache that literally looks like two pieces of felt glued onto his lip, he finds Meg's body. He comes out and he's like, "I'm sorry." No, get, with that fake mustache, the last thing they should have did was a close up on his face. But they they do. Never <laughs> should they have done that. I don't. I don't know what they were like thinking. And it's like so blatantly fake. And he's just like, oh, he has like this flabbergasted like look on his eyes. Eyes are all wide, and they're like, oh, it's Meg. <laughs> that that horrible. Well, bitch there's, is there's dead. also that random like girl Marie, like Marie the random counselor finds her first and gives us a performance of like I've lost everything in seeing this and then he's like my mustache yeah. <laughs> they get some good performances from these goddamn extras I mean come they on do. I, I actually think I, I've heard people say the acting in this film is terrible I actually think the performances in this film are very I don't want to say good I want to say they're very naturalistic they're very realistic yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean I think yeah. For the time and genre, I find the performances I do too. pretty good. Yeah, I think the performances good. are pretty good across the board. I, I think for like as young of a cast that you're dealing with, they're really good. It's very natural. I, I buy a lot of the chemistry between the characters. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think the acting in this film is bad at all. I mean, I've, there's far worse. I mean, oh, far worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, this is another example of how the ages of the actors come into play. I think because they cast younger actors, they just naturally feel a lot of these sequences with the youths feel um, very authentic because of their humor and the, the way they talk to each other. It just lends itself. I also feel like any acting job that's slightly over the top or anything fits because of the type of world we're in, especially after seeing how it finishes. You kind of leave your, you kind of lends itself to have that, and the only characters that do that make sense in doing that. Well, we are getting there. We are almost to these. We're almost to the end, guys. So Paul meets Angela at the waterfront. She tells him they're going to go swimming and tells him to get naked. Okay. Yeah, they. She's like, I'm ready. Yeah. Then, then the cop finds Meg, and then Susie and Ronnie start walking. They're looking for Angela, and they hear singing. Like faint singing. And you basically they, they follow the singing to the waterfront. And, and, and there's Angela sitting on the naked. beach naked. And Paul looks like he's laying in her lap. And she's petting his head. And she's singing to him. And you're like, oh, look at they made up. And she finally fucked him. How sweet. And then you get the flashback with Aunt Martha. Yeah. And the flashback basically reveals that... Angela is really Peter. Peter. Angela died. Angela was the one that got killed at the beginning. And this is Peter, the boy. However, Aunt Martha does not want another boy because that wouldn't do. Oh, no, not at all. That would not do at all. She's always wanted a little girl. So she makes Peter Angela. How sick. How sick. It's disgusting. <laughs> what That's what I'm saying. Rationale. That's what I'm saying. It is the Aunt, Aunt Martha is the real villain of this film because none of this would have happened if it wasn't. Anyways, because we're getting there because then we're going to unload on this ending. Okay, so flashback ends. Angela suddenly stands up. Paul's severed head falls on the ground. He's dead. She cut his head off. And she has a dick. And she's growling, holding a bloody knife. 
And that's the, it's a freeze frame and you get the whole, oh my God, she's a boy from, from Ronnie. And the film ends with a freeze frame on her gnarly ass face as you find out that Angela has, is really a boy. A, one of the most shocking endings in horror movie history. If you didn't, if you don't know this film and you're watching it for the first time, I guarantee you, you're going to be shocked. B, iconic, iconic. I mean, come on. Absolutely. I mean, who 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 could have ever predicted? Right. right. And the execution of the uh, the way they did it, they had a I think like a, a an adult film actor. Like yeah. A, they, well, they, like a, they had an actor yes, yes. with a mask and a me. I mean, the the effects in this movie, beginning to end, blow my mind. And this mask is one of the most well handled effects because as as Angela's revealed and turns to reveal her genitals, and you get a full frontal uh it's it's horrifying it is a horrifying shot and basically all this quiet character you've had so subdued the whole movie just unleashes the growl all of her inner inner turmoil and it's just it's mind-blowing and for 83 quite shocking yeah so absolutely that's sleepaway camp we're, we're done folks yeah. good night no i'm just kidding we <laughs> we got it we got talk about the ending being being yeah. gay queer individuals yeah I, I, it's our duty. I've listened to a couple podcasts on this film, and I've actually come across several articles and some some Facebook posts. And it seems to there seems to be a belief or an opinion, an opinion, and opinions are great. Everyone has is entitled to opinion that this film is transphobic and problematic. Um, it comes along the same lines now as films like Psycho, Just Kill. Um, where if you have a killer that is trans or perceived as trans, because let's face it, Angela is not trans. Okay. Angela, if no, Angela didn't feel she was in the wrong. If Angela was, if aunt Martha never would have made Angela a girl, would Peter have grown up to be trans? Probably not. Okay. So I don't get the whole transphobic thing with this film. My take on it is actually the film is very positive towards trans because, and I interrupt me if you disagree anytime, uh, because like I said, there are several gay podcasters who have done this film and have called it blatantly transphobic where I'm watching, listening to the podcast, like cussing under my breath. So I'm glad I get to say my piece. Angela is the most sympathetic character in the film. Okay. None of these. You root for. None of these characters are likable. Okay. They're all horrible. I like. I like Susie. Susie's good. Ronnie's good. But the most of the characters in this film are extremely unlikable. The deaths, and I hate to say this, I hate to say this because nobody deserves to die. But we're talking about a slasher flick. We're slasher film fans, right? The characters in this yeah. film that die deserve to die based on the yeah. slasher convention. Well, yeah, they've they've all done something. They are horrible. They bad, and they die because of their actions mm-hmm. towards this mentally disturbed person. Yeah. And Angela is not mentally disturbed because she's a trans person. Not not yeah. at all. Um, and these characters, like I said, they deserve their fates based on how they treat the character. They, I mean, think about films like Friday the 13th. Those characters don't deserve, did not deserve death like these characters do. Absolutely. There's a very specific reason why these characters die. 
I don't think when you t- when you say the word transphobic, it inherently means like the the film is like like a fear of trans. It's trying to project a fear of trans people. I don't see that. At yeah, you would think it's all. painting somebody who's trans in a bad light, but I don't. I don't see I don't it. See no, that. I'm not a tr- I'm not trans. Okay, I'm a gay cis male. I I don't know. I'm sure there are trans people out here that may find the film problematic, and I respect your opinion 100%. I don't agree. I do not think this film is transphobic. Um, I I feel like the character of Angela is the character that the audience relates to the most. They're certainly not scared of her. The ending, I can see why someone may, some people might have a problem with it because it it's used, I think, as shock value. But yeah. when it's compared to the, how the story is structured, it makes sense. Like the ending, it wasn't like, I don't think the filmmaker just decided, oh, God, you know, guys, guess what? If we made this killer and gave it a dick at the end, that's going to shock audiences. From the very opening scene, it's very apparent where this film is going. Yeah. I, I don't think it was a plot device for shock value. The film is structured very well. There's a lot of indication about what's going to happen. And as we've discussed, Angela herself, Peter does not feel like a girl, I don't think. Yeah. I think, honestly, it almost is um, the opposite of that because in this world, they've created an eccentric storytelling where it's just further proof that if you don't allow somebody to be themselves there are detrimental consequences to their mental health and the world. And I don't, I don't think Angela, and I go back to this. I don't, Angela is not killing people because she's trans. No, no, she's killing people because they're mistreating her and she's, and she's mentally unstable. She's killing people because they are, they're, they're, they're they're treating her like shit. I think, I think the big thing that comes up here is Um, the whole thing with uh, trans journey is is the idea of claiming your identity and how you identify and how you see yourself and the issue here is and is that was stolen and angela's character was too young to probably even know and understand and so at first i'm sure it was one of those things that just was confusing but they went along with it because they're a child but now as we see this movie is being so overtly sexually um portraying men and throughout this film and everything and the things that Angela as a girl should be responding to is not responding to she's still operating like a boy she just doesn't understand it obviously she's quiet obviously she's closed off but as far as she knows she's a girl she doesn't know any better because obviously this eccentric aunt has raised her a certain way thinking a certain thing but I don't understand the mentality by some people that you cannot now have a movie with a gay killer or a trans killer because that makes it automatically transphobic or homophobic. I would prefer movies have that kind of thing because it it makes everyone equal. But there, but there does seem to be a sector of people that think that you, if a movie has a trans character that's a killer, oh my god, it's transphobic. I, I go ahead. And, and I'm sorry, every there's assholes in every walk of life and every you know not all trans people are great people. Let's be honest. And if anybody that's a anybody anybody that's a true crime addict like i am knows that trans people gay people are everyone's capable of murder i could kill beyond the beyond the quality of the person i mean beyond if they're a good person or a bad person one thing i think that unites a lot of slashers and a lot of horror movies is the idea that killers often become this because of their journey and to say i mean if you're going to argue this 
that you know a transgender person it's wrong to portray them in a, as a villain or in a bad light or as that though they can't go through this experience then i'm sorry you can't use the excuses of mental illness in general i mean like if you're going to say that about trans people then you and honestly any slasher is problematic any slasher that shows a killer who is snapped or has an alternate personality, or has bipolar disorder. All of these things have been used to explain the rationale behind a killer and who, why they do what they do and who they are and how they operate. This is just an example of somebody being put through an experience that altered how they evolved, how they operated, and now their brain is responding poorly to it. This person is not trans. Angela is not trans. She was forced to live. If that you're life. looking for, a, if you're looking at a 1983 low budget slasher flick to make a statement about the trans community that, that you think is, you know, ideal or one, that, then you're looking at the wrong place. I'm sorry, that wasn't this film's job. Okay, um, this film did its job extremely well, and this, the film's job was to give us a highly entertaining slasher flick. But like I said, it just seems. Recently, yeah, there are all these films that were where where there's a trans or a perceived trans killer are all of a sudden problematic. Uh, like I said, read Shutter's description of this film. They blatantly say the ending is problematic. I read that and I'm like, what? I mean, <sighs> I feel like when that ending hits, it really um, it really begs to be watched again, so that you can see all the subtleties of what could this character be thinking. Because if you think about what Peter went through. He lost his father and sister. He has seen a gay relationship in the uh, background of his life. He is then brought to live with um, Aunt Martha, who's clearly eccentric and lost, who then forces him to act as a female for the rest of his life and hide that from literally even Ricky, who is like, I guess, technically kind of almost like a stepbrother-ish cousin at this point. Um, and then you hit puberty around all these other teens. The mentality of that is is the breaking point. It has nothing I to think do with that, the... I think that is the story of this film. I don't think the film is a trans story. So it can't be... It's not transphobic because it's inherently not about that. It's, it's about somebody that ha- has been forced to become an identity that they didn't choose or didn't want to be. Um, that's the film. That's what the film is about. And to think about it from a perspective that this was 40 years ago, I mean, hell, you should be happy that a film is even tackling that subject 40 years ago. And did it, I'm going to say this tastefully, and I don't want to, I'm using that In word about sleepaway camp. I, I realize that, folks, but I'm saying yeah. <laughs> that subject matter of the film was handled pretty well. I don't, I don't think it was, I never got the sense that it was portraying homosexual relationships, trans, in a negative light at all. And I guess you just got to get over the fact that uh, uh, making a character a villain is automatically somehow uh, uh, painting that entire community or, or sector in a negative light. How many films have we seen where there's a, a, a straight killer or a, you know, I mean, it doesn't, we don't automatically say, well, it's, you know. And if you boil it down to the bare bones, the message of this movie is if you don't allow somebody to naturally live and evolve as they are, as who they are, you are going to mentally disrupt them. You're going to cause them issues. 
They are who if you're if you fight against who they naturally are meant to become, and that's going that can go both ways. You know, who's to say that this wouldn't have applied to a character who was trans, who was forced to live in a life, uh, be identifying as the gender that they don't see themselves, that they don't identify as, and it's you could turn it around and provide a very good argument for why trans uh, individuals should be allowed to live as they are because you cause mental hardship on them every day when they're not allowed to be the people they're meant to be. So yes, maybe this is a little shock exploitation, but you know, the best horror movies are and that covers all bases, gay, queer, trans, otherwise. It's a, like I said, this is a it's an 80s slasher flick for crying out loud. We're not, you know, I mean and I know I know now now I know that people are talking about Silence of the Lambs as being transphobic because of the character of Buffalo Bill. I mean, it's just it's just getting to the point where I mean I don't know. I mean, I yeah, but the thing is, you know, even stuff like that, that's based off of Ed Gein. That's a real thing. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yes, Ed Gein. I mean, Psycho is based off Ed Gein. And even Norman Bates wasn't trans. I mean, Norman Bates was not trans. He dressed as his mother because he had Well, he had a psychotic break. Yes. Yeah. So all these... All these films that are supposedly transphobic don't even have trans characters in them. It's just ironically, so, from my point of view, and I'm just I'm an idiot, so like this might not be the appropriate point of it. It almost is metaphorical for the actual opposite. It preaches acceptance. It preaches yeah. let people live as who they are, and things will go accordingly. Don't mistreat people, and you won't have bad karma and get stabbed in the shower after you try get to your, the get director. your coochie burned right. regardless exactly. of how they identify but uh, because like i said i just want to go back to angela is the most relatable character in the film she's the most yeah. sympathetic we're supposed to care about her uh and then I, you know i get it i i get why people say it is i mean it's like the shock value or the people that'll sit there and say well you know people that don't know any better you know, that don't have experiences with trans people are going to see it and see it. That I can get. If people are like, if the average audience sees it and they think but, like, but well, you know what that's I mean. What like, it is. I don't, but I, to I, me it's I'm sure there are some people that do that, but there are also some people that watch Scream and think, oh, cool, you know, the two white guys are, you know, killing people. Maybe I should, I mean, I do. It's, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's a slasher. It's a slasher film. You got to go with it. And I think it's a pretty progressive slasher film. And to me, with what Angela has gone through mentally, it's not like it's like you in other horror movies, somebody's like killing a bunch of people for some sort of reason that they're either avenging something or they're feeling a certain way. In Angela's case, the mentality of where they must be is you can't necessarily blame this person you blame yeah, the you blame aunt martha that's who's the aunt martha is the real villain in this film folks let's remember that but but that's sleepaway camp i i wanted to like i said i i, I respect everyone's opinion i i'm giving my opinion that doesn't mean i feel like anybody that thinks that this film is problematic is 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 wrong i'm saying i think yeah, they're wrong but yeah. doesn't mean they are wrong we all have opinions i respect opinions trust me i've, I've listened to podcasts i've read episodes I, I i respect the opinions i'm just coming from a different perspective where i feel like the film is actually like we've discussed the opposite so i'm kind of glad you guys agree um to a certain extent i only agreed because i'm a guest I'm just kidding. I mean, maybe maybe it'd be interesting to revisit the film at some point with someone who actually does think it's problematic. I would love to actually discuss yeah, with that somebody would be why they feel I, that way. I would be way open to it. And I try. I was watching it this time with that in mind. Like, okay, I'm trying. I'm watching this film purposely. To, I want to see 
the, the problematic yeah. No, aspe- yeah. aspects of the film outside of the ending. And I just, I still didn't feel it. I mean, I can't help that. Like I said, I, if, if there's somebody that actually does feel that way, especially a trans person, I totally respect that. Totally. Because like I said, I'm not trans. I don't know how this would affect me if it, if I was, I would like to think I'd still be, feel the same way. Hey, there was a movie that was dealing with these issues made 40 years ago. And I still think that this film for the most part holds up really well and has a pretty positive following. So that's good. I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, every killer needs to have a motive and some motives are going to offend some people and some motives are going to offend other people. And some people are offended by slashers in general, lest we forget. Some people are offended by death. Some people are offended by gore. So it's one of those things that it's about, it's about how do you interpret it? You know? And yeah, I wish Angela had done something aside from, killing everybody who was mean to her yeah but (laughs) now i was just gonna say let's 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 keep in mind every slasher film should be offensive i mean you're watching people getting murdered that that's that's what always gets me if you're not offended by somebody getting stung to death taking a shit what are you offended by (laughs) exactly that's what i'm saying like people don't have a people aren't offended by by actually watching people get brutally butchered but they're offended by the end of a movie that reveals the, the character was a was a true was a, a boy that was living you know that was forced to live as a girl. That's offensive. All these people that got pots of boiling water poured on them. They had a comment about that. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, he already had it coming. He was a mess. Good old Artie. But we are. Let's see. We are at two hours. Wow. I think, I mean, I think we, we, we covered all the bases. Is there anything else anybody wants to say? And like I said, guys, just because we are saying what we believe doesn't mean we think anybody else's opinion is wrong. No, I think, um, I think other things aside from, I think people look at the, the right away, go to the taboo elements of this movie and don't also acknowledge the fact that at the end of the day, it's a pretty well shot very beautifully scored and pretty well acted slasher with some amazing kills. Um, and um, taboo elements aside, I mean, to say it's not an influential and I'd say superior slasher compared to, I'd say, most within the genre, to be honest. I prefer this over Friday the 13th. I prefer this over a lot of them. I do too, actually. Yeah. It is perhaps one of the best camp slasher films. Uh, I, I I would say it's definitely better than The Burning. I know a lot of people love The Burning. I find that The Burning to be paced incredibly slow. I like it better than the first Friday the 13th, Blasphemy, I know. I, I would say I like Friday the 13th Part 2 better than this film, but I, it is one of the best camp slasher films out there. Mad Men, eh. Madman, we'll cover that at some point because that's a really cool film. It's very atmospheric, but I, I agree. I think this is a. I think it holds up really well. It's still it's shot very well. It looks great. I mean, it does. It's a blue, beautiful the film. The Blu-ray it's a beautiful film. Uh, cut of this film is looks really great, and the, the effects still hold up even in 4K Blu-ray. You, it, it's really yeah. impressive. And we will get a, maybe we'll talk about the sequels at some point. I've never seen any of the sequels. Oh my god! Okay, so have you, Roger? Um, you know, I started watching the second one, but I'll say this: this is a movie where I was immediately turned off by the fact that, um, and, and not being like a Felissa, where I was like, I love her. It just, I, I, I think the first performance is so strong, and it's very obviously not her in the second and third movie. So I kind of just like didn't care as much. I get sometimes affected by recastings. That's just me. I'd be happy to revisit it. I almost think that sequel thing might be more problematic, actually, because I do know in the sequel, she's had reassignment surgery. She has, yes. 
Yes. And that, I think, lends itself to a very new field of question. Yeah, like, she's, she's manipulating that identity now. Yeah, yeah. She actually has had a... She got a... She had the reassignment surgery while she was in prison. Which then, if that's the case, it does open up a problematic floor for, like, then she is trans because she's identifying female. Yeah, maybe we'll cover two and three. We will never cover four. Four is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Which is sad because Felissa Rose returns oh, for no. it. It's god-awful. Uh, yeah. Um, two and three just take a different tone. It, it's a different. It's a different director. It's yeah. It's very. It's much more comedic. It's very self-aware. Angela becomes like Freddie, where she's cracking jokes before she kills people. It's kind of. It's not the same as the first one. The first one, dark tone. The, the two and three are very comedic, lighter tones. So once you get past that jarring element, it's they're entertaining. I just wish they weren't part of the Sleepaway Camp franchise. Um, but we'll talk about those later. Uh, but yeah, that was that was Sleepaway Camp, folks. I we hopefully our our conversation humored you, enlightened you, um, and we did it. And we got it. We got to say huge, huge thank you to our special, our first co- and your last or guest Woo. host, Chris. <laughs> no, not our last. We are actually going to have you on again, and we are going to talk about I sorority. Wait, I fucking love yeah. it. Oh my I god. Love it. Specifically oh the remake, God. I'd prefer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the iconic for sure. in its own right. It's one of my favorite horror films. Okay, so we will we will plan that sometime in the near future to have oh Chris back. Oh, my God, I'm thinking all this stuff to talk about. To, to, <laughs> to talk Sorority Row, because I do love that film, too. It's, and it's speaking so of, uh, yeah. of co-hosts, we actually are going to have um, our second official co-host to ever... Uh, next week, we're going to... We're going to... We're trying some new things. We're trying some fun new things. So we're going to have... Um, Another a fellow podcaster on the show next week to review a very different title, uh, though empowering in its own right. <laughs> uh, next week, we are going to have the um, Pop Culture Persephone, a pop culture podcast uh, personality and a good friend of mine. She's a really great podcast channel that I encourage all of you to uh, tune into because she's hilarious. She's an honorary gay man in a woman's body. And next week, we are going to be reviewing the 2005 direct-to-DVD classic, Tamara, starring... I love Tamara. Starring Jenna Dewan, formerly Dewan Tatum, and Matthew Marsden, and I, I fucking love this movie. Uh, underrated, it's like a sexy Carrie meets a whole bunch of other movies from the late '90s, early 2000s. I can't get enough of it. And so we're bringing in a woman's voice and a, a woman's personality to help uh, help us really decipher the true meaning behind Tamara and whether or not everything that Tamara does throughout the course of this film is deserved or if she's taken shit a little too far. We, we'll figure it out when we discuss it with the podcast Persephone next week. But uh, until then, Chris, thank you so much for being our first honorary guest host. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, helping break it in. Popping the cherry, if you will. <laughs> we like it a lot. <laughs> we like that. But we will, yeah. So expect to have Chris back at some point in the future to talk about Sorority Row. We'll keep you posted. But yeah, this was a great episode. I'm glad we got to talk about Sleepaway Camp. I feel like it was a great conversation. So we bid you adieu, folks, until next week where we talk about Tamara and Channing Tate. I mean, Jenna. Doing. Do on Tatum. And until then, guys, keep in mind, give us some likes, give us some love, give us some shares, give us some comments, and please go listen 
to Chris's debut single, Welcome to the Hollow, watch the music video, like it on YouTube, and check out his work for the love of ham. He's busting out everywhere. He's got movies. He's got shows. He's got songs. He's got a touring band. What more can you do, Chris? Gymnastics. He does gymnastics, my God. <laughs> and he can bake He can bake an amazing souffle. I'm actually, All I'm this a good and cook. More. I, I believe it. I've, uh, we do I've believe you. It. I remember when we were filming Teacher Shortage, you were like, had a, a notebook can full I of recipes eggs? or something. I was making I, smoothies I, for everyone, yeah, too. Right. You were making all kinds of stuff, yeah. yeah. We're going to have you on okay. for an episode just to talk Teacher Shortage, too. It's coming. Oh, oh yes. We need to do that. It's, it's, it's I've never time. seen it, but we could do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, could get, we could get a few of the cast. I'm working with Kaylee this weekend. To talk about Wonderful. Oh, wow. Okay. Give her Yay. our love. Give us give oh, her some I'll kisses. Oh, I'll give her some kisses. We're actually, uh, we have a sex scene together. Oh, okay. Are you rooming together again? I, I don't think so. I think we all have our, <laughs> you guys, we have our own beds. Slept. We were, she's the best roommate I've ever had. We literally slept all day and didn't do anything. That's how it should be. How it should be. On that note, I'm going to go sleep all fucking day. Uh, because it's 10.30 p.m. This has been the longest podcast we've ever done. Woo. <laughs> Chris, you deserved every minute. Thank you. Yes, but thank you for hanging with us for two hours and plus now. So good night. Join us next week for Tamara. Tamara with the podcast night. Persephone. Good night. Good night.